you're on the rock when you when, when you're getting your ass whooped as the car is moving as as you oh my God. getting your ass whooped getting that hand from the back getting you your <laughs> ass whooped in transit is crazy no 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 there ain't no in the back I'm, I'm sitting next to him so he's just got a clear line of fire right in, in transit is crazy you know you know this is a is a weird world place for a month our last episode was 185 <laughs> <laughs> no no it was 186 we did oh, we, we did one yeah we did one right afterwards oh it was that morning after we had oh. watched the whale and we come we came back in here it we, was that like a day before all this happened. i was wearing a turtleneck like a lot of people do when they want to apologize for something for sure your blue turtleneck <laughs> yep but that was before anything went down we didn't even know this was happening um remember yeah okay yeah, I think it was either that after. No, it was a. It was because we were off that day because it was Thursday before we started our new jobs. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no recollection of any of this, but okay. yeah, because you said, "How funny is it that this happened after I already sort of had apologized for what it may have sounded like before?" Ah, uh, yes, I Remember did say that, that right, <clears throat> right, right, and it seemed like like the time- all that shit had gone down and then i came back and spoke about it when then indeed that was not the case that at was all. thursday morning yeah all that should happen thursday afternoon yeah i'm just when when i speak about stuff i have a decent uh i mean i i have a decent understanding of like what's coming out of my mouth yeah. and and how it may sound in various ways sometimes i just let that shit fly because that's just gonna be the case sometimes or you just gotta you just gotta let it fly and you know let the cards fall where they yeah. may um but yeah, I when when I try to speak about things, one, it's like it's helpful for me um, to to think that way, because like as I'm thinking something through, in order for you to, or I, I think it seems to me, in order to truly think something through, you have to be having that inner dialogue and questioning yourself along the way. Like you make a statement. And then you say it's like the scientific method, just be just like in in verbal form. Right, right. Like you're you're stating in a hypothesis, and you're like, well, this is what I think is the case with whatever thing. And then you say, but you know, but what if it's not? Like, what what if you know, what if this or what if that? And so that's that's sort of the way I think about stuff. So I I counter arguments and counter points just as a natural progression of thought. As, as I speak about stuff. So sometimes it seems like I'm actually responding to an actual right. human or set of humans that has said something to me, but I'm not. It's just the set of perspectives in my mind that, you know, could uh, validly contest the thing that I'm stating at the current moment. You know, I, I think I said it on the pod. I absolutely love that about you because I think that's one of my shortcomings is that I, I forget to take a moment. And to breathe and to look at it from from other sides and angles. So I think, yeah, I think I, I said it on the pad. I was like, that's that's well done. Also, I think that when you speak, things are just pretty concise. Like, I think there's hardly any room for interpretation. Well, that's not true, right? Because you and I will have conversations well, and yes. you won't be understanding what the fuck I'm talking about for quite some time. And yes. it, it, it takes it takes a lot of time 
to get through different things. And that could be having to do with the the high stakes of emotions in any yes. given conversation or, you know, you just your your stake in it, like your emotional stake yeah. in the you know, in the topic can just very easily get in the way. And as I told you yesterday, I feel like it's very, very easy for people to get lost in their arguments and discussions. Um, Because if you are truly not out of the way, egotistically speaking, and trying to solve the problem and trying to, I think a, a huge part of people, like conversations going left in conversations is that, at least one person or maybe or possibly both. And then it's really a wrap is not making it easy on the other person for being wrong in, in any sort of space. Okay, right. I also, there's, there's, there's a lot of problems, right? Like for instance, Everyone is is looking, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are looking for information on the Israel-Palestine mm. situation right now. A lot of people are trying to find podcasts. A lot of people are trying to find anything to give them some understanding of what is happening, what was the origin, where are we at now? You know, just give me an idea because mm. we're, we're not going to become like political scientists, but just like what is, just give me the rough outline of what's going on. Yeah. And then Uzima sent me the Coleman Hughes, which you've seen on other podcasts mm-hmm. before, and he seems like an astute young person, right? An objective astute person. Uh, journalist. And whatever the other guy's name is, I forget what his I name is. Remember. But he is Palestinian. He's also like a, a political pundit of sorts and whatever. I, I don't know all his all his accolades, but he does seem knowledgeable. He seems well versed in what what is happening. And the only thing that I don't like, and we can bring this over to like the Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson debates mm-hmm. or like any sort of intellectual debates that we've ever watched. The only thing that I don't like about debates is it, is the fact that it's a debate, right? It's like the same mm-hmm. reason like when I told you that I would... I would if I ever went back to school, like it would, I would be thinking about guidance or therapy, psychology. It would be in that realm. Right. The only the only issue there is you have to ask, why would you want to do that? Oh, well, you would want to help people. You would want to speak to them about these things. This is ultimately just fascinating to you, the, the human mind and, and how it manifests itself and actions and all this sort of stuff. Um, do you need to do that in order to have that experience right. in order right you know what I mean so I like what I do here and I feel like there are a lot of similarities here except I'm also able to express myself mm-hmm. and to to counter things in, in certain ways that I don't think that is necessarily practiced in in that realm in, in therapy I also don't know what exactly is allowed or not. I don't know I don't how structured it's like a podcast. Well, we'll, well, we'll definitely talk about like the group book and like what we, yeah. what we got from that, this group therapy For book. Sure. Um, I forgot who wrote it. Oh, Christy Tate. Christy Tate. Christy Tate. Yeah, Christy Tate. Um, but, but the, but the point I, I was bringing that up is that, um, 
Well, now I have to try to remember. What was the point of me bringing up? Um, you were talking about debates. In- well, yeah. So the, the point being is that there's this aspect of it that I believe if there was another component added, like another component of, of truthful resistance added, then it would make things much better. Mm-hmm. Now, you might say there's truthful resistance inside the debates that they're having, but the issue is that like, in the debate, they're, they're, that conversational aspect of, oh, you're right. Oh, you're right about that thing. Like, oh, let me point. change my. Oh, let yeah. me change my perspective. Okay, well, let me let me. They don't do that. Mm-hmm. They don't pivot based off of something good that they heard in an honest and, and verbal way. Of like those words don't come up in debates. You just it's just like disagreement after disagreement, and after you have stated a position on something, and then someone debates that. You don't you don't say, oh, that was a good point. Maybe I've been looking at this incorrectly. Tell me more about that thing. You bring up now your next point that is supposed to be a counter to that. Or it's some red herring in a way that takes the person's um, attention off of the, the main point. And that's. I get I mean, for for debates purposes. Which, which is a weird. It might be a weird. It might be a weird set of purposes because the people listening are getting a ton of information, right? And they're seeing different different angles to things. Which is what I got when I watched this video. You had Coleman Hughes that was clearly on the side of Israel. Was that advertised as a debate? Absolutely. Really. It may it may have said discussion or it may have said debate on, but. I can promise you, if you listen to that, it's a, it's an hour and a half debate, mm. and Coleman Hughes is debating on the side of Israel, and he is saying that this can be. He starts with this thing that I, Uzima and I both thought was fundamentally flawed, which mm. was that in this you can definitely break it down to good guys and bad guys, and that it needs to be broken down oh, to good Coleman guys and bad. Said yes. That. Oh, understood. So he's coming from the side of just like, there's definitely a good guy and a bad guy in this situation. Um, you know, we, we can talk about the level of, of civil unrest that either one of them have evoked, but there, there's a good guy and a bad guy in this. And so, and then the other guy not only is Palestinian, right, but he has family, he has friends there. Like he's, He's heavily invested he's in this. He's not just watching it on the news. But he's also intellectual and has been following this for many, many, many years. Right. And so I think that coming from diametrically opposed positions like that, they did the best. It, it was the most civil and it got it, it got spicy at I'm certain sure. points in it, but it was the most civil understanding. And, and I learned a ton about it. Um, but it's yeah it's just a, it's just a weird space because i think that people need to hear certain types of conversations more i think that that was like a decent one because they were so civil and they they were able to you know expound on a lot of different topics but they also didn't they didn't agree on a lot of things and that's fine they didn't explicitly move their beliefs or points much um but yeah, it's just you know debates get weird. Debates get like debates get tribal. Debates get egotistical. 
you're on a stage in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. So like move like moving backwards, so to speak, and saying that someone has a good point, maybe you ought to change your position a bit. I I suppose it could make you look ill prepared or not so well versed, right? And then I assume that people would feel insecure and vulnerable about their their position, their status being critiqued because they lost or they were wrong mm-hmm. or they didn't consider a certain element or component of a varying perspective. Right. Uh and that's weird. And I think that that's a part of the weird game w- within debates, because I think that if you are wrong or you have not considered a certain perspective, you should absolutely state that you haven't <laughs> considered that certain perspective or that you were wrong and, and, yeah. and try to wrestle around with that in your mind. Um, and I think that the doing that is an extremely important part. But I think that the showing that is also an extremely important part for your interlocutor that now trust you a bit more. Mm-hmm. And which is funny because I was just reading about this in this book. Mm. Um, Drunk, how we sipped, danced, and stumbled our way into civilization. I think that people should read this book. It's actually very interesting. It's one of the... Uh, Slingerland? Uh, Edward Slingerland. What a name. Yeah, also the author of Trying Not to Try. Uh, mm. That's probably certainly an interesting I'm book, too. Sure. Um, but yeah, one of the more interesting books that I've I've picked up, and I haven't been picking up books recently in the mm-hmm. past year, uh, so it was interesting that this one called out to me. But but it is but it is that reason. So your interlocutor will now further trust you because they're like, oh, this person can admit when they're wrong right. about something, which is what's uh, yeah, and and it's also good for. For viewers, listeners to be able to see when someone admits that they're wrong. I think that these are that these are things that need to be put into the ethos out there so people can know it's okay to feel that way and to concede defeat, right? Which is not really defeat. It's really we have a formulation problem with a lot of right. things. Like we form them incorrectly. Like it's a I defeat. That formulation is something that's wrong in a lot of people's psyche because mm-hmm. I, I think it. that what you're saying in your mind sounds much better than what it is like in, in real life. I think that people who, who follow whatever you're saying you like in a general sense, like human beings. Yeah. I'm, yes. I, I don't see people in a general sense looking up to someone they look up to and then them admitting they were wrong on a big platform, on their podcast, on the news station, wherever, and then being like, oh, wow, like, what a respectable move. I think yeah. it would be like, oh, that's a bitch. Like, you folded. You know, I because mm-hmm. I'm saying all of this, and again, I also acknowledge I don't hang out around a lot of people. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't speak to too many people. But in the 27 years I've been alive, I am one of the few people that I have come across that, like, will admit to certain failings. And feel okay with that. Like, I didn't see that from my parents. I didn't see that really in TV for the most part. I didn't see that in school. I didn't see that in college. And you don't see a lot of people admitting they were wrong or just changing their perspectives until I met you. And then I started listening to Joe Rogan and Sam Harris and all of these other people. You know, like, I feel like that's very, very rare. 
And I think that people don't realize the value in that. Mm-hmm. So if they were to see it, it would just register incorrectly in their mind and their psyche. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just wouldn't be taken for what it is, which is a, a, a valiant thing to do and a responsible one at yeah. that as well. So I would hope that that is how people interact with it. But for some reason, I feel like it just it wouldn't be that way for the most part. Yeah, that's that's when because people don't do that in their own personal lives. So I don't see how they would be able to, you know, provide value to that situation as well. Um, the same way that I think anything really happens, you move through a leader. It's, it's not the way everything happens, but it's a way that I think a lot of things happen. What do you mean? Culture is built. Uh, well, I mean, according to this book, through a lot of drinking together. Mm. But, um, and it makes a lot of sense that alcohol has been such a part. Alcohol, as well as just other intoxicants, mm-hmm. have been a huge part of human civilization since the beginning of time. You know, where as soon as they could, it seems like it was so long ago as soon as that, it was found. that they started doing it. They believe, like modern history and science believes that agriculture, which is truly the, the, the robust emergence of civilization, mm-hmm. came from harvesting grains for beer. Mm-hmm. People thought that it was bread. For a long time, which would have made sense. But people now think that beer came before bread as far as make like plotting out that makes land. Sense because isn't whiskey or whatever made from barley, too? So they were probably just trying to get rye, all of that out there. They, mm. Yeah. they. Some people think that it was a that it was bread and someone had like fucked up some bread because a lot of things come from accidents. Right, and like you course. fucked up some bread. And so you just like let it sit there and you you went on. And then you came back and it looked different and it smelled different. So then they were like, hmm, what's this? And they started drinking it and then they started feeling away. Oh, shit. Like we got something here. And then it continued on from there. Um, But just the, you know, I won't go through everything that's in this book, but just the aspect that correlates to what we're speaking about now of truth. Of. Just as gazelles have gotten faster through time because they've had to get away from fucking lions and cheetahs and shit, then the lions and the cheetahs, they get faster through time. So you have this arms race, right? Like people are just everything's evolving to get away or to kill, Mm -hmm. right? It's just predator prey just to survive. And so we've gotten really good as humans at looking at people's facial expressions in their tone of voice, in their body language, and all these small things that we don't consciously think of. So we call it the vibe. <laughs> right. We said, I didn't like his vibe. Yeah, he gave off the wrong off. vibe. Or like, I really love this vibe. Like the vibe. You know, but what that really means is that you're unconsciously calculating all these very nuanced variables that we have evolved to calculate. Um but we we don't know that because we're just regular as humans, so we just call it the vibe. Right. But then that means that through time, people have become better liars as well because they understand that other people can see them and stuff like that. So they try not to leak out as much facial expression that they're actually feeling in response to whatever it is that you just said because they don't want you to know how they really feel. So they they get they get better at it. 
Um, and it seems like throughout millennia, people have just taken time to make sure. That's why in certain business meetings in certain countries, uh, whether it be with war or just business deals or people coming to your house or people coming in to settle in your land, whatever the case is, when strangers are around for a lot of people in certain cultures, we're going to drink first. Like we're going to get intoxicated first before we move on to the next step. Yeah. And the reason being, it's been calculated because I need to know who you are and I need to see more of you. And even though I can look at you and try to pick up on all these nuanced things, I could be I could I could be, you know, just stupidly trusting. Yeah. You know, and unnecessarily trusting or I could I can miss things, but if we if we drink together, a lot of the prefrontal cortex is going to be diminished from the uh from the the whole engagement, which means your regulation is going to be diminished. Your emotional regulation, you know, just your, your just your conscious awareness of of things is going to be diminished, which is going to allow me to see more of your your true intention and, th- and things of that nature. Uh, so so that's just that's fascinating that, you know, it's been around so long. And, and th- this this book, the way that he goes into it with substances and just going through all different sorts of cultures through all time. It's so fascinating that this happened to be the case. Um, now, again, as always, I forgot where exactly where I was going with all of this. Um, but culturally, you know, there are so many formulation problems. Um, you know, this thing of, of not wanting to be wrong uh, because it makes you feel insecure about yourself. It makes you feel like you don't know everything, which means we have like a huge humility issue amongst human beings is, is what is is what I see. I think it's even deeper than humility. I think it's just human design to not know everything and to be perfect. And I think people forget that. Well, I mean, is that the same thing? If you, humi- yeah, because it means that you don't have the humility to understand that yeah. human beings are just human beings and you're not omniscient. Yeah. Now, I was thinking the other day when I was in the bathroom, I was wondering if, the, you know, they probably can't run a study now because they didn't take the data from the past. But if there had been an uptick in... If you could take a survey from the, the 1500s, 16, 17, 18, 19, and then into the 2000s uh, of all of the core characteristics that a narcissist has. Mm-hmm. And like if there has been an uptick in narcissism, I think I've seen articles in the past about just the age mm-hmm. of narcissism that has emerged with social media. And I think immediately you just think of like wanting to show and everybody wanting to show and look good and look good and look good. Um, And so like that being some at least indicator of it. But I I was wondering if because of the amount of information we have at our disposal, we start to think of ourselves as omniscient beings. We start to think of ourselves as much smarter than we actually Mm -hmm. are. And we then 
feel insecure about not knowing certain information when a lot of other we feel like a lot of other people know information that we that's don't kind know. of where daniel was coming from right what like he like he says that he does not like he hates not knowing something when someone else does or something along those lines yeah he came on the pod and said that he doesn't Yes, he doesn't like to not be able to contribute into, right. a, you know, to a conversation which people are speaking about, whatever the case mm-hmm. is, right? So he wants to know or about everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I I get that sentiment because it's something I've heard a lot. Also, yeah. you know, Cindy came on with with Will a long time mm. ago, and this is one of the things that she said that like she right. she will get very defensive right. in a conversation because she hates feeling like she's wrong about something. And I think that that's something on every level, like on some level, everyone has felt at some point in time, like not wanting to relinquish that. And I think it makes for a bad learner, Mm -hmm. right? Because that means that you're, you're the kid in the class that won't raise his hand because you're afraid of the public ostracization that comes with like, Oh, this motherfucker don't know this thing, even though there are going to be other people in the class that also don't know the question to, you know, or the, the answer to the question that you're about to raise your hand and ask. You don't know that they don't know, but you just feel like you're the only one that doesn't know because everyone's not raising their hand. You know, you know. a quick little side note about that. I've always been the inquisitive person. Mm. And with not knowing any English, I will never forget how I shut myself down in school for so long. And I probably would have excelled. But I just I was terrified of being laughed at over and over because when you don't know English, things don't stick. And I remember being in like. Got here in sixth grade and I didn't know any English. And I think I was in ninth grade or, or eighth grade or something like that. And we were talking about like learning the years and mm. before Christ, after Christ, whatever it oh, was. Oh shit, that must be tricky. It was it was trippy as fuck. And I remember asking a question that I didn't realize had already been answered earlier in the, cra- uh. the class. And I was like, what does this mean? Why does this happen? And I remember the teacher going over it. And I think he was nice about it, but everyone else like started laughing and like, oh, like we just went over this. And I'm like, well, obviously some of you guys didn't know this because I can see it here. And now I'm never going to ask a question again because I'm terrified that I'm going to be ostracized in the class every time I ask a question, which is why I think I did not do well in school for it. Like I just didn't, I didn't care. I was like, I don't, I'm I'm not, Mm -hmm. I don't really know the language that well. I'm trying to figure this out, and we're talking about the years. Yeah, Uzima and I talked about that when we, him and I were speaking about personality types. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the five big personality types, uh, openness. I'm going to try to go through them because I think that it's a, the word ocean. So it's mm. openness, creativity. Uh, what would E be? Mm. No, no, no. I forgot. I forgot which one that is. But then A is agreeableness and then neuroticism. So I'm really forgetting Mm, what what E E is on that. Um, I don't know. I'll let it. I'll let it. I'll let it come back to me. Um, Anyway, so so you have those and we're talking about hopefully glad I remember the A because that's what I'm wanting to talk about, Mm -hmm. which is he was saying on agreeableness. He felt like he was too far on that side of the spectrum and he needed to. And sorry, what do you mean by that? That he's too agreeable or not enough uh, Too, Uh, like to the point where in conversations he had noticed that when it comes to not knowing something, he's trying his very best to use context clues to figure out what the person is talking about if he doesn't know, as opposed to asking that person. And I think the agreeableness in that 
is he doesn't want to bother the person. And they're speaking about something and they're trying to get through it. And then now I have to slow down their train of thought and ask them what they mean about this thing so that then now they're just like, oh, and I guess in his mind and a lot of other people's minds, you're like, and I felt this before for sure, which is like, oh, now I got to break this shit down because I'm trying to get through this thought, but now I got to break this thing down, you know, so that they understand what I'm talking about. And I think, I mean, inherently that's an issue. Yes. Right. Because <laughs> I understand you not wanting to, to do that. But if you guys are having a conversation, the whole point of the conversation is that you understand what they're saying. Right. So you you would have to ask if you don't understand something, because how how about this? There's a different way to look at it. How disrespectful is it of someone's time to to have them talking about some shit at your face and you don't know what they're talking about? But you also don't ask about it. So now they've just been talking. You don't know what they're talking about because there was a huge nugget. It may have been the origin of what the fuck it is they're talking about. It could be integral, like, like liter- the literally the quintessence of what it is they're talking about. And you're not asking any questions. So you're just lost as they're talking and you're just picking up small little things. But you don't understand the overall gist. And now you've just you've wasted their time. You wasted your time. You're just walking away with no sort of understanding. And that's another way to look at it. So. Hopefully that like helps reform that. You know, I I just experienced this as an adult recently, you know, with my new job. I'm learning about all these things that I have never heard before. And we have this trainer whom I don't believe (laughs) to be apt for this job whatsoever. Like she's so not a people. But she is. eh, She's nice. But she's like someone's grandma that shouldn't be doing this because she doesn't know how to speak to people. Nonetheless, she said the word peptides, and she said, this is the most important thing, you know, the peptides and this. And I said, I'm sorry, like, what are peptides? And she looked at me, and she went, ah, like, you should you should really do the modules. I was like, well, I would love to be signed up for them because I didn't know there were modules. And then, you know what she had to do? She had to Google peptides mm-hmm. because she couldn't even tell me what peptides really were. Yeah. I was like, you can't be upset at me because I could see it. She was, like, disappointed like, well, I don't know what you're speaking of, and you don't even know the answer to it either. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're more upset that I asked you about something that you didn't know about that you most certainly should have known about. Right. Because I understand you having to pause. Like, I give room for there to be some natural annoyance there. I don't expect you to be like, oh, awesome. Let me just shut down my whole entire schedule, even though I have to leave in 45 minutes because you have this one question. But you should know what you're talking about. And that's, and that's another humility issue, like not having the humility to let that person know that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. But all of this goes back to the credentials. Right. It goes back it to it hurting your credentials or hurt yeah. or hurting your perceived status It's like, oh, if I if I show like now I'm upset with her because I'm really upset with myself for yeah, not yeah. knowing this information. And she's now exposing that. Even if it's just us two in the room, she's exposing that I don't know this information. And that and, makes me upset. And this was actually the same lady, which just makes so much sense, that was like trying to quiz me after she went over, like she read everything from the PowerPoint. Nothing was from her memory or in her own words. And she was like, so what did you learn? Like, remember, so-and-so are going to ask you questions. Like, and, and like, they'd like to quiz and you have to know. And I was just overwhelmed. But then we have the other rep whom I really, really enjoy. And I was like, hey, so we have these two products and they seem to be similar. 
I was like, I don't know how to, def- like, what is the difference between them? And she was like, actually, I can't, I really don't know the answer to that. And she looked at the owner and she was like, hey, like, do you know the answer to this? And she was like, well, I think it's because of the molecular level. And I was like, well, what is molecular level and what is the difference? And she was like, oh, let me go get my notebook where I wrote down from the reps that explained this to me. Mm-hmm. You know, there was never a moment of like, oh, you know, like it was just like, oh, I don't know. And actually, maybe I don't know. So let me go here. Bro, teaching is difficult. It's don't crazy. don't like don't get it twisted. Like teachers, professors, that is a that's a hard fucking job. You have to and make people, sure, and pe- yeah. people don't understand that. That's why getting older, when my parents always told me to go get the fucking dictionary, when I didn't understand <laughs> something that the adult yeah. said, but I wanted to know what the adult said, they were like, no, go go get a dictionary. Yeah, like, they sent that. me on that search. And it may have been, one, because they didn't know how to explain it. It may also have been because they wanted me to go do the search, because that mm-hmm. builds a resilience. It builds a, a better understanding. And it builds the the practice of going and looking for exactly. information yourself as opposed to just having someone tell you yeah. an answer That's to something. That's a good habit to have. It, it's it like, is. Hey, don't ask someone. Look look it up. Like find it that way because yeah. what they tell you may be very different than what you go find, right? And so it's inter- it's, it's, yeah. it's important to go find that thing. So when I sent that text message to, you know, my sibling chat and my group friend chat about, you know, just me saying, hey, guys, I apologize for ever over explaining (laughs) things in the past, right? Like when Anthony Stokes said that sometimes we just need a grilled cheese and I'm doing too much. I'm trying to put together a four course, you know, meal. And, you know, so I playfully sent that out. But there's a there's definitely a huge aspect of that that I do not apologize for. For sure. Because it's it's literally just like trying to think on a molecular level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And, they, and it's, it it's not even trying to. It's just where my brain goes. Yeah. It's, it's the very first place that my brain goes is trying to like, discover the fabric of any idea that I'm thinking about. And so I'm, I'm working with grains. Right. I'm working on a very granular level. I'm working with the individual threads and weaving them together. So when I'm trying to think through an idea... And the the terms that come up to me are inversely correspondent. Right. And then I'm like, wait, no, there's an easier word for that. Oh, opposite. Right. I'm sorry. Let's take a quick bathroom break. All right, go for it. Sorry, sorry. And we are back. Yeah, that's um, why. Um, oh, well, so let oh, me no, go ahead. Oh, just nice. finish this yeah, point because yeah, uh, I, I took time to try to remember Thank what it was I, I was talking about because I completely forgot. That was awesome. As soon as you stopped, as soon as like bathroom came up in the in the conversation, the last thing I remember was bathroom. Oh my god! So then I had to like try to go back and say like, what was I even talking? I feel about? like my bladder is just older now. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll get yeah, on the older stuff. Go ahead. Um, so let's see, what was I talking about? You said, about? last word you said was... Uh, oh, inversely correspondent. Yes. So the the whole point being is that I've heard in my understanding is that truly knowing something is being able to then tell it to the next person, right? And it would be best if it could be told in your own words, like your own understanding mm-hmm. of the thing. And so a lot of people don't have that. Like they've read some shit and maybe they feel like they have a, you know, and like a... In, inherent understanding of it but they don't know how to explain the thing Mm -hmm. Uh, like a lot of people have with with uh, grammar for their language they know how to use it to a certain degree they don't know why they know how to they they don't know the actual Mm. rules but like if you talk to me about certain Spanish like I've taught you about certain things about Spanish and like what certain rules apply and I'm like that can't be the case because this rule like that's not an exception to this rule like can't tell you about them right um 
So I, I did forget like the base of, of where we were at in that conversation. Why would I have been talking about? Well, you were talking about the, the text first that you sent the sibling group chat. Oh, yeah. And- just just being able to oh, yeah, just being able to explain things on a molecular level. I mean, that's that's pretty much uh, my, my point on that, I guess, is that you, you want to get to a point if, if you know, of. Of truly understanding something and thinking about what that thing means, like, you know, like what like what does a word mean? Like a word is it does have a definition for it, which are composed or comprised of more words. And it's like, so what does that what does that right. mean? Um, like, how many ways can you explain that idea? And I think that just the more words you get, and it, it it helps you sort of understand an idea more. Sort of like we were watching Tom Bellew or Bilou, however you say his name, the, the entrepreneur oh, that speaks yes. at a thousand words per minute. I don't know his last name. He's crazy. And he was speaking about people being able to perceive. And he's like, it's been, it's been researched that if you, the more hues of blue that you are taught, mm. the more shades of blue you can see. You can distinguish between different blues if you learn different words for blue, right? You can have your teal. Your your navy blue, your what royal is blue. Favorite color, the blue. That's a that's a red. Oh, that and was it's a, a red. And, yeah, and I it, it was blue. Yeah, and it's a word that I don't remember. Um, it's a very long word. It's got like fucking it's like seventeen letters. It's a lot. It's a lot of. Oh, but, I thought it was blue. Um, but uh, yeah, that's 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 pretty that's pretty much you know why why I sent that text message out and just my ideas yeah. on on trying to get to the the, the core of something. I don't yeah. you know. Yeah. No, I mean. To just stay there for a second, that has easily been one of my favorite parts about being with you. It definitely got to be a lot at the beginning <laughs> of our relationship, but it was fascinating to be able to hear someone explain things and talk about things from a molecular level because I had never really listened or been around stuff like that before. Oh, another point that I never finished was about the the whole like evolutionary thing of Instagram and just social mm. media as a, and, and narcissism and like if they could ever run that test. Yeah. Um, like I, I don't know if that's the case or if a hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, they, you know, they thought some shit, you know, before Galileo came around, it was just like, oh, everything revolves around the Earth as opposed to the Sun. So maybe it's we've always felt like we were much smarter and much more knowledgeable than we always are. So that's why I thought it'd be interesting to have that, to have that test. I don't know if you know what technologies. It could be any level of technology we have. We think that we're further along. You know, we have understandings of things that we actually don't. But there, but I do believe at the base of all this, there's there are humility issues. We won't say when yeah. we're wrong. We don't want to ask questions. We don't want to seem stupid. We don't want to slow people up, which is, again, ridiculous because you're still wasting their time because they're just speaking at you and you don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And you're just, like, nodding your head. Um, But it's... um. It's fascinating. There's there's definitely a huge formulation problem. Um, that's why I decided to read this book drunk, because I felt like there's a, a formulation problem around like the alcohol, mm-hmm. um, as there are many, many other intoxicants. Um, relationships, and we, we, we can definitely get into this, uh, has a huge formulation problem. I, was, I told you I was watching the divorce lawyer. I mm. believe his name is James Sexton, which is also hilarious. That's funny. Um, on the Lex Friedman podcast. I just watched like a 20-minute clip or something. But this, 
this idea, and this was even reassured after I watched that episode and went to work and I had this guy talking to me about, about relationships. And he's like, damn, man, like, I don't know. He's younger, but he's oh, like, he's the one that asked you about me. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, damn, man, like being in a relationship, like it's starting to seem cool. <laughs> like it's starting to seem like it'd yeah. be a good thing. I'm like, yeah. It can be. It can be. It can, it can also very much suck. And, you know, a lot of people are having that experience where you, you don't want to go home. We've heard stories from friends of like, bro, like, can I have some more hours? I don't like I don't want to go home from work. Like, I don't want to go back to that place. Or, you know, you're in there and you're just trying to spend more time in the bathroom. You're just you're trying to plot it out. Yeah. Right. OK. I, I leave work at five o'clock. Roughly, my partner and I's like our in in my bedtime is nine p.m. nine thirty. Like, okay, I'm getting off work. Bedtime's nine nine thirty p.m. She she's there. She, <laughs> she, she lives. She, she, she lives there. She li- she's there right now. We sleep together. So by the time I get home, she will be there. So there's no buffer time once I get there. It's not like I get there and then she gets home an hour later. Like she's gonna be there as soon as I open that door. So. My heart hurts just like hypothetically speaking about so, this. So, okay. So, it, it drive is a 32-minute drive home. But I do know this other route I can take, and that'll make it a 45, 50-minute drive home. I can stop by, maybe get some food. No, nah, I can't stop by and get food because she already cooked the food, so I got to eat with her. So, you know, maybe I stop, I get a drink real quick, and I'm just... You know what I mean? She knows what time I get off, so she might hit me up and be like, where am I at? Maybe I just got to tell her, you know what I mean? I'm just stopping for some gas or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm getting something from the grocery store for her, so maybe I got to, now I got to stop by the grocery store, too, because I got to get that thing that I just lied about. So I can get a little drink or whatever, you go to the grocery store. Like, okay, I maximized that time, so now I, it's an hour before I get home, so I get home around 6.30. You know, I get home around 6, 6.30. And maybe I, I can go. I can go to the bath. Hey, babe. Hey, how you doing? I go to the bathroom and I pick up a book or I get my phone out. I can probably get a good thirty minutes in the bathroom because I was like, babe, I gotta, I gotta go poop. Thirty is a lot. No, but I, but I gotta poop. But I gotta take a shower. Okay. Because I gotta get ready for. I gotta get ready for the night. So I gotta poop. Poop take twenty minutes. Man. Twenty <laughs> minutes. You gotta get a hemorrhoid. <laughs> I gotta for twenty minutes, babe. I gotta, I gotta poop. I gotta, I gotta, you know, go in there wash. I gotta wash my hair. I gotta wash the body. I gotta, got. I want to make sure I'm really clean. You know, this type of guy is also doing a little masturbation. You know what I mean? Might have to rub one out real quick. You know what I mean? And then I get out. So now it's about seven o'clock. I only got two and nine. You know what I'm saying? Two, two and a half hours left. Now I gotta. Now I'm gonna have to give her some time. Whatever that means for me. Maybe we get in arguments a lot. Maybe they're just talking about some shit I have no interest in or whatever. That sounds so or they're, horrible. They're just all, I know, that but this is but so this is horrible. reality. I know, for most people, probably. I don't know about most. A lot. A I lot of people. Lot. Divorce rates don't look good. We know that. And those studies are always interesting because those are just the people that let you know. Mm-hmm. So you have no idea, mm-hmm. you know, or, or those are the people, I'm sorry, that go through the divorce. Right. But you have no idea of all the people that just stick with it, hating life. 
and they ought to get divorced, but they won't for whatever reasons, right, religious, so social, children, just you, what, yeah, that. whatever the case is. So they just stay in the marriage. Um, so you know, I'm talking to this guy, and I'm like, yeah, like it, it can, it 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 can be great, but you really have to build that shit from the ground up. Like you really have to sculpt your your own marble, Oof. you know, and. And when I say that, you, you, you know, you know what that means. You don't or you, you figure it out if you get with someone. Um, but a lot of the formulation around it, a lot of the, the ideas, what James Sexton had talked about on the podcast, which is which is just interesting. And I was I've been thinking about this for a while mm. as our relationship has gotten better. I've just thought about attention. Right. Because yeah. clearly that's all I've been thinking about. Like this is my only purpose this is my only mm-hmm. drive is finding better ways to give attention, seeing as how, from my understanding, attention is all that we have. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally speaking, your attention is your baseline. It's what it is that you are able to see. Now, most people are not in the endeavor of trying to augment their noticings per second, right? Their frames per second, as I speak about it, their moments per minute, whatever you want to talk about. Like the... the the amount of things that you are able to observe and take note of prior to thoughts sweeping you away and you just being lost in thought about something and having to snap back snap back into the immediate reality that you are you know inhabit inhabiting and um so this idea that the ball, the old ball and chain, right? The idea, you may not know that. That's I've a, heard of it. It's an American phrase, yeah, right, I, I, I think. But it's pretty much just think about what a ball and chain is. No, I, it's I, it's, I, a, it's, a, it's a, like a slavery type of term oh, where you would be chained right, to slavery, a very large yeah. ball where you can't go anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we just have this overarching sort of idea that a, a man and wife or whatever, you know what I mean? Listen, there's a lot of man and man and man, woman, a and person woman. and a person, yeah, person and, and, and person and person. I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> person and person, all of them, everybody uh, is y- you having to just sort of tolerate them and, mm-hmm. and like you're rolling your eyes at the things they do. It's like, Oh, y- y- you know, oh, he's so lazy or doesn't pay attention to me, you know, but I love him because he does this, 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 and this. Or, you know, the woman that just like, oh, you know, she's then the little nagging woman, you know, the nagging wife is just nagging me about this, that, and the third, you know, nagging me about my health and nagging me about my my cleanliness, my hygiene, nagging me about things around the house, or blah, nagging me about my feelings, blah, blah, blah. And it's like this this overarching, this looming ever impending idea that we flavor things with as a culture. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's more, I guess, uh, prevalent in certain people's lives than it is others. But there is this this overall blanketing idea and people will know what it is I'm talking about when I say it. Like they'll they'll be like, oh, yeah, like I, I get that idea, whether they practice it or not. But that in culture is weird. I thought about m- myself growing up. There was this thing, I don't know if all guys did it, but I definitely know young black guys were most certainly not 
encouraged to love a woman. Mm. Right. That wasn't that was not a case. We're, we're not growing up in the era of Marvin Gaye or Luther Vandross or any of that sort of shit. We're growing up with 50 Cent, The Weeknd and whomever else. OK, so like the it changes it, the culture, culture changes sure. through, as I said before, like leaders or seeming leaders, the people that we look up to. It just so happens often that we're looking up to just one. They're just humans. Right. <laughs> they're just regular humans. But a lot of times we are looking up to the, the wrong people. And that's up to people's interpretation. Like, sure. what is the wrong person? Like, what, why would you say this the wrong person? Mm-hmm. And what makes it the wrong person versus the right person to look up to? And that's a discussion over morals and ethics and values that philosophers, moral philosophers have been having forever. Yeah, right. So so I guess you got to go listen to moral philosophers and figure out like what your philosophy on ethics and morals and values are. <laughs> and then and then go out there. Yeah. But there are certain people that just most certainly just aren't the right people or at least what you could do, which I feel like is hard for people, is just grab eclectically yes grab from I various things and be better. like you know what this person or this image is good for this host mm-hmm. of reasons but right. not these other ones so i'm not going to take everything from them and people are very bad about not taking things wholesale right they, they, they just they're not very good at it um so so yeah i think i think that it, it goes through like that i remember us as kids were and when I say kids, we teenagers, young 20s, we're making fun of each other. And this was a phrase, right? A guy would start dating a girl. And at some point in time, our friends were like, we know for whatever reason. Because we you don't just come back and say, hey, I'm dating someone. So that's what you know a lot of women would do. Like they're proud of it. Like, oh, I'm dating a new guy. Like, you know, this is what's going on. Guys weren't really doing that. Like you just found out somehow. Like, hey, man, where you going tonight? What? You've been going out. What you got something? Good? I mean, yeah, like I, I got <laughs> right. a little. You know what I mean? I got a little shorty with a like, nigga. What's going on? Oh shit! You like? I mean, it ain't nothing. See, you know what I mean? I met her at a party. Blah blah right. blah. Like it just came about that way. It wasn't right. like some huge announcement. But then at some point in time, your friends were gonna come at you, and they were gonna they were gonna fuck with you, and they're gonna be like, "Yo, watch this, watch this," and then they go to you and be like, "You like her." <laughs> <laughs> You like her. Nigga. Oh my god. And that, and that you have feelings for her. Yeah, you don't care like, about her well being. Yeah, like you like her, nigga. You like her. You don't and want her to die. Now, huh? now that was a huge That's punchline funny. because it would hurt a motherfucker to be like yeah yeah like i like fuck her but but that's the thing it's like yeah. it's that bread toxicity yeah you know what i yeah. mean it's it was very very weird to like someone mm-hmm. and to have their well-being at the yeah. forefront of your mind and blah, blah, blah. Um, and the issue with that is that that goes into a lot of people's adulthood. Like, that's not just a childish thing. Like, it follows people through their adolescence into adulthood. And that's when you start to see the toxicity that you can see if you decide to open up your social media apps, your preferred social media apps, and just looking at what people have to say about mm-hmm. other demographics. And that's interesting, right? That there's some innate tribal nature of us that just makes us look at other people as others for whatever differences they have. 
and not all the similarities that human beings have and in othering them, putting them in, diff- in a different camp and then disliking them for whatever group think reasons. Right. Uh, but. But so that's why I suppose it's so. Beautiful uh, and overall just bizarrely fascinating when you see people that really bucked that system and was like, listen, I don't know what y'all are doing, (laughs) but we're going to try to love each other as best as possible and try to support each other Mm -hmm. and try to remove our egos from any contentious situation so we can see exactly what is going on so we can move forward amicably because that is a pure intention that we mm-hmm. try our best to uphold. Um, and, and that just brings a world of difference when you're on a team with someone, when you're a partner with someone. That always reminds me of growing up. And if you've listened to me talking off on here, when I pop in, you know, I grew up in a very strict Baptist Christian household for a really, really long time. And I only ever saw my dad make any sort of decision, whether it was me going to homecoming or painting my nails for the first time. I used to get beat for painting my nails until I was like 12. Whatever it was, I... I, And you were taking the beatings. How many times did you get beat? I got beat all the time because... You just kept doing that shit. Because all I remember like crying as my father would beat me and I'm like... What is so wrong about me painting my nails coral pink? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is it? I'm like, I remember saying, I was like, it's not in the Bible. So, like, God doesn't dislike this. Like, why do you hate it? And why do you hit me <laughs> when I don't follow the rules that you I have set forth? It. Yeah, because, I mean, I, listen, it's just I'm responding the way I am right now because you said coral pink. And it just happens to be that on that spectrum of Roy G. Biv, like mm, those I haven't heard that in a long time. Those Roy are G. the Biv. colors that like men are attracted to, which is why you have like the classic pink is for women. Yeah. Right. Even though it's, now it's right. But the classic pink is for women yeah. um, and in shades of red are seductive. Right. Right. Like you have the, the ooh, and you wear the red heels. What do other women say to you? And that's mind right. you. I chose that coral pink because that was the most like the closest thing to white I could find. Mm-hmm. I would have never painted my red, my nails red because I knew that that would have thrown him over the edge. And I didn't know psychologically why back then, mm-hmm. but I just knew that the, I couldn't choose that color. Yes, yeah, it's, it's rouge. Yeah, right. Uh, you, you know, like, like blush on faces. It's just too much. Red lipstick, pinks, lipsticks, like all that sort of stuff has it, just been, you know, for, for whatever reasons is because uh, I don't know them evolutionarily um, has is called to. Called to men. Yeah, I think Jordan, Jordan may, maybe explains just like, that I forget. Maybe it's like ripe. Maybe that's, that's exactly what I it think is. That's, that's exactly the, what it is. It's just like it, this is yeah. ripe. Yeah, there's something like the, about red. Like this in, is this in, is youthful. Mm-hmm. This is this is vibrant. It's very interesting how we're biologically just sewn together like this. Mm-hmm. But I say all that to say that I remember looking at my mom every single time, and I have said this to her growing up. And I remember thinking it every time. I was like, how come you get to make zero of these decisions? 
Like, it's not that you guys talk about it and then, like, my dad's position on whatever the matter is makes the most sense is that it's always, like, it's up to your dad. You got to ask your father. Or, like, she would tell me, like, hey, like, I have no problems with that, but he doesn't really, like, he's not about it. So, like, you can't go to homecoming for whatever reason. Mm. Like, I don't even remember the reasonings why. But I was always getting into trouble since I can, I've been getting my ass handed to me since I was probably two because there would be these rules set forth and I couldn't understand them. I'm like, if it's not in the Bible, which was where everything revolved around in my life, I'm like, so why can't I do it? Like, why can't we do it? Yeah, And there was never yeah. an explanation as to why this other person didn't want me to do it. It was just because I said so. And you cannot tell me that. <laughs> yeah, That has never been good enough for me. So it, it makes me feel phenomenal to be in a in a relationship that very much feels like a partnership Mm. you know and especially as we grow older together because i had never seen that you know i grew up with abusive grandparents and there was certainly a a, i've only ever seen hierarchies in my life and men being at the top of them Mm. you know and thankfully i never adopted that mentality either you know that Men are just out here trying to ruin the world and be in charge of the world and women and whatever else is is mixed up in that. But I think that's, for the most part, like, that's a lot of people's lives in some way. Mm. You know, like, there's not a lot of partnership. Like, there's there's not a lot of conversation. Someone is in charge for some reason, whether it's, you know, religious or financial or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's when I broke down the word conversation, mm-hmm. right? I love like, that like, you know, to see with the act of seeing yeah, with of conversation, seeing and because I'd never heard anyone speak of it that way. But like once, but my just under basic understanding of Spanish and being able to put that mm-hmm. back together made so much sense to me. What the un, like what the truest form of conversation is. And like there are other types, but it doesn't hit home like that type, like truly trying to employ all of the factors that allow for both people to see together. And a lot of that is, as I've spoken about, ego dissolution um, and, and honesty, attention, focus, listening. Mm-hmm you know, understanding of yourself and where you're coming from, can, you know, uh, precision in your speech, all that sort of stuff. Uh, the green lights, I, I had called them before. Yeah, right. Um, right. I, I, yeah, that's, that's definitely a huge piece that is missing from that. And I think that that's often going on. That is often what I think about. Well, like when you hear from people, as we've talked about, with this live to 100 book that we've gotten as well as the, the dietary book for recipes and the challenge and, book, if and, anyone wants and, it. And, oh, and the challenge <laughs> book that they have as well as just the overall documentary yeah. or, or the documentary documentary, the docu-series, a lot of the couple of people that we have given that information to initially have this feeling of, man, that's really great for them. But we can't do that here because we live in, within these set of circumstances, culturally speaking. And that is, I definitely take that into account because a lot of the reason that people are in the problems that they're in 
are not their fault. Right. Right. As you say, it's not their fault, but it, they are responsible. If you to, see it and you're aware of it at some point, then you're responsible. So, so the point being, you're right. You're not set up in the right set of circumstances to not be an addicted consumer, mm-hmm. right? Because that is a lot of what we have here in the States. You're not, you're not posed, you're not positioned well to not be, you know, an addicted and un, underdeveloped, uh, unknowledgeable eater in, in the consumer mm-hmm. way, right? Like diet is terrible as i've talked to you before about driving home late at night Mm -hmm. and then now there's just there's taco bell there's burger king there's mcdonald's there's only things open right and 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 it's all very cheap so in a lot of ways you're not set up right schooling is weird because there are a lot of things in school that i feel like a lot of people wish there were other things set inside the curriculum like communications classes like learning how to plot and bi- like build land yourself like mindfulness, agriculture meditation, mindfulness meditation money management money management for sure you know emotional uh, regulation that would be a part of the the um, certain meditation yeah, practices yeah, yeah. but yeah all of, but all of those things so i always ask myself when or i don't ask myself but when people speak to you you have a pretty firm understanding of the conversations that they have mm-hmm. and that they have had. Mm-hmm. Literally, the things that come out of people's mouths when they talk to you are some form, fashion, the level, the degree to which they have had conversations about things. Right. Um, so you just you, you get a decent understanding. You get a decent reading on what the baseline conversation out there is like. And. Like I told those two people that we, we spoke to uh, about Live to 100, about these blue zones mm. where centenarians are thriving around the world. You can make an enclave. Like enclaves exist, countries within countries. Yeah. And so you can, you can make that. You can make that your home. You can come back to a place every night where you're not trying to take the longest route to get home because you don't want to fucking see that person. Or, not trying or, or to hide in, in the bathroom for 45 minutes. No, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to get a hernia taking a shit for, for 30 minutes, right? Um, drink some water, by the way, if you're, going, <laughs> if, you're, if you're going through that. Your body needs water to flush things funny. out. Some people may not know that. Um, so so the, the, whole, the whole point there is that attention is is your world what you give your attention to you know about those things and the things that you don't you don't really know about those things and those things are going to be finite because you are not an omniscient being (laughs) right so the whole thing is just what do you want to give that attention to whilst you're here you have time and you have attention right there's energy that goes into being able to give certain amounts of attention over the course of that amount of time you have on this planet. So you can say you have your energy, attention, and time. So the very, very most basic fundamental question a human can ask themselves, from my purview, is how much of my energy do I want to spend paying attention to the various things that I could give my attention to over the course of my life here. Yeah. 
And so you ask yourself that question and then you slowly start trying to plot that out and ask yourself the questions as to why certain things you know, deserve certain attention over others. And you start to build a system of values and, you know, hopefully your things that make you feel good are in there, like your hobbies, music, whatever the arts that make you feel good or, you know, and incite some sort of creativity and inspiration for life, like good, like real, like juicy content, whatever that is for you. Um, your health, mm-hmm. physical, mental, spiritual, if you're about that, whatever that means for you, religious, um, you know, the, the community that you're a part of, your level of security, like, the, like these, these types of things, you know, learning, growing, whatever. And as I've spoken about on a couple of the last episodes, these things require so much of your attention. I'm going to start with To be good at them. Not to be mediocre. Like, if you want to be good right. at all of these things that I'm speaking about, the way in which you treat yourself, treat other people, the, the way that you're, you're treating and maintaining your body, your, your vessel, your vehicle that is going to take you through this life. And if you're thinking about the long term, like not wanting to, your body to start breaking down and malfunctioning earlier and you know trying to live a fuller life you know trying to spend your time getting into that juicy material the things that really like arrest your attention Mm -hmm. like it's very easy to give your attention to this because it's so compelling for whatever reason and and also realizing because sometimes the compelling stuff is also a lot of the trash so trying to discern between like why am i giving like what am i getting from this Am I getting anything from this? Do I want to get something? Like, what does it say that I don't want to get something? What does it say that I'm looking for something out of this? But, you know, everyone has to go through this inventory and, and mm-hmm. come out with their own with their own list of things. Um, but the but the conversations that people are having are huge that you brought up children. A lot of people want to wait. They say, oh, they're not at that age yet. I'll wait to have a conversation with junior at some other point in time. Um, you know, but, but we underestimate how intelligent children are and what their capacity for learning things are, which is way, way, you know, more vast than ours, um, as adults. And they speak on that in that book, Mm. in this book as well, drunk, um, it's just, it's just way better. They're just way more malleable. They're, they're just, For sure. They can just know. pick up and let go, and it's like, all right, this one now, yeah. Yeah. It's it, not the, the, way, the way they talked about it is the best, is that your brain, you know, is made up of all this type of matter. Mm. And that gray matter is sort of that very mm. creative, free-flowing, you can, get, you can get wildly, you know, imaginative in here and find new pathways and new ways of thinking about things. Then there's white matter, which is the more uh, concise problem solving matter, which allows us to go through life and not get killed. It allows us to survive mm. and understand things. And they, they talk about it like it's a huge field, a vast field of like wheat growing. Right. But you have to figure out how to get from point A to point B, point B to C and D and E and all these different ideas. Right. Innumerable amount of of 
variations between these plot points. And every every time you take a route somewhere, you have now taken a route somewhere. So you understand that route, just like you going to work. You probably understand two ways to get to work very, mm-hmm. very well without yeah. any GPS, just you getting there. For sure. There are mad ways to get to work. Some of them may be longer than others, but there are a wild amount of ways for you to get to work. But you only know like one or two. And it's because once you take a position, you're going to keep taking that way to and from work every day. And it's just like an idea in your mind. You're going to keep taking that same route unless for some reason that road's closed that day. Yeah. So now you're forced to take another route. And you're like, oh, shit, I can take this route. Actually, this route's better. Like, this is a much like more beautiful route. It's mm-hmm. only like a minute longer. I think I'd much rather take this route. So you're forced. A lot of people are never forced to look at things from other positions. One, because they're not having open, honest discussions with people that would force that. They're not looking for information outside of their immediate wheelhouse, outside of their echo chamber that right. their people are often trapped inside. Um, but there are certain things like alcohol, like mushrooms, psilocybin, you know, LSD. There are a lot of things that can get you outside of that and it just it brings the gray matter back in a way where you're much more childlike in your mind where you can play around with ideas and think about things in ways that you just otherwise wouldn't have before and you know i think it's extremely important when a child is a child to start to build that understanding, allow them to be creative mm-hmm. and also asking them pertinent questions about things and having them, you know, work through ideas. I've also come to my parents and told them later on in life the same thing that you just said. I gave them the same case. Like when I was getting older, I was also running into the same problem. Mm-hmm. I was a kid and there were things I wanted to do. And I was told I couldn't do certain things, but I wasn't given a lot of reasons for a lot of things. And so I just decided I was going to do other things that I wanted to. And a lot of the times, the only issue that I ever had was coming home and getting beat. Like I, I, I did. There weren't a ton of other ramifications for the, the small things that I wanted to do, like spend the night at my friend's house. Like nothing, I was in a safe, I was in a safe place. Right. They, knew, they knew those people. Nothing was going to come up. They just wanted me to come home. Right. So any disruption there may have been emotional for them. Maybe they just wanted me to be home. Maybe they just felt like I haven't been producing enough or doing well enough, performing well enough in school or whatever to, to have the, but I was out though. They would let me go out because clearly mm-hmm. I'm already at my friend's house. I'm already there. I'm calling from my friend's house. Say, hey, can I stay? He's like, no, come home. And that particular time I'm speaking about, I just, I was like, okay. And I hung up the phone and I didn't go anywhere. I just stayed there. Yeah, seriously? Yeah. He absolutely pulled up to the house like an hour later and got and then, you know, like RJ's mom was like, hey, he's, he's outside. Like he's, he's, I thought you said he could, you could stay. Mm-hmm. I pulled one of those where I was just like, yeah, he said I can stay. He didn't. So then she was like, yeah, he's, he's outside waiting for you. And I got in that car and you know. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You got to. Oh yeah. You got oh yeah. Yeah. When you're on the rock, when you when when you're getting your ass whooped 
as the car is moving, as as you oh my God. getting your ass whooped getting that hand from the back, getting when you your were... <laughs> ass whooped in transit is crazy. crazy. No, 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 it ain't no in the back. It's I'm insane. I'm sitting next to him, <laughs> so he's just got a clear line of fire. Right in, in transit is crazy. Um, Honestly, can we just take a pause to talk about how dangerous it is to whoop someone's ass while you how, operating heavy machinery at thirty miles per hour? How wild it is that we got whooped the way that we got whooped. <laughs> like I have vivid images. I used to have welts on the back of my knees constantly because I would run <laughs> away because my dad had his leather belt. Yeah. Like I just you said it to the degree, and I think that both of us uh, feel this. What is like when you when you just pull a belt off of the 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 wardrobe off oh, the, the dresser just it. to put, and you just hear like like you hear the little the belt, buckle the or... buckle, you know, hit against that little latch that goes in the hole. When you just hear that little jingle. You know, it, it, you don't, it's not like you're afraid. <gasps> it's not like you get afraid, but there's just there's I feel it in my heart. The like only something's not right. Like it doesn't the only identification. Well. Right. Like the only reference point to that is not just simply someone putting a belt on. It's a it's, belt being taken off or a belt being grabbed from somewhere. For, you know, yeah, for ass whooping purposes. It's crazy. Yeah. You just you just hear the gym. You're like, oh, shit. A belt coming out, you know, uh, you know, for some people, that's not the case because it wasn't a belt. It was like some people just got random items. Some people it was like, you know, they pick up a shoe. I got the chancleta. Yeah, you got the chancleta. I got the chancleta. Some people, you know, shoes thrown at them. Bare some hand. people, bare hand. Uh, but the belt was. Swi- people grew up with switches. You know what switches? Is that a stick? Yeah, it means you, sometimes people would make you go pick the switch that you're going to get beat on. I mean, <laughs> you have to go outside and take a like a, a strand of bark off the tree like a oh twig God. and they are going to make shift a whip out of that and whip you with it yeah that's crazy yeah the, i mean these were slave tactics you For know sure. they like they you know they like learn through time that this is kind of like what you did to someone that was that that was not being you know yeah, just yeah, it, it always learned. it always amazes me that for some reason so many people in our generation were just able to come together and realize mm, maybe we should stop with the leather belts and the hands to the face and just pretty much all corporal punishment, if not just at least. I I don't I don't know the numbers, so I'm not gonna. Jump on that boat. Okay. I don't know. I I see what you're saying. That you would like to believe that most people in like maybe not first world people. countries maybe are. I mean, I don't even know what demographic you're setting this inside. Actually, well, I just think people and and I think like their forties and thirties and twenties that are having children now are more so starting to think about yeah. What it means for me to do this in, in like, do I want to do it versus our parents that are in their like late 50s, 60s and 70s who like it. That was the only option. That's what you do. Yeah. If they're acting up, it's not like, you know, like we have beat him five times this week. So maybe like it's not working mm. or whatever it else It's like, no, you're every time you do it. This is what happens, yeah. you know, versus maybe a, a pause being had or a conversation being had or 
maybe taking it out altogether. Mm-hmm. I think that's way more prevalent now than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Mental health up. is, yeah. you know, is much more of a conversation now. So it, sure, we're much, probably, we're much yeah. more sensitive to yeah. other people. And, and things like that, like therapy, like all these conversations yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, have definitely made a dent no, for sure. True. And in the culture. Um, and yeah, it definitely is wild. Like people were just getting asked for a very, very long time. And a lot of it was learned behavior, of course, from the elder generation. I don't know about you, but from my case, every time I think about my parents and them beating me, I only ever think about what their upbringing must have really looked like. Mm. Like truly. Like, I, I used to be really upset about it before. That almost never comes up. It makes me feel uncomfortable to, like, see images of my parents absolutely attacking me in certain ways. Because that's what happened. Why does it make you feel upset or uncomfortable? Because, I like, I see them so vividly. I, like, I, I understand. Like, but what is it about the image that makes you feel uncomfortable? Because I couldn't... Because I try to put myself... In that situation, and it like almost makes me emotional to think of like beating my own kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, "Wow, I, I could never do that." So it just makes me think of what they must have grown up with, which mm-hmm. is it's probably like unspeakable. You know, my parents mm-hmm. come from extremely abusive, alcohol-driven. Both of my grandfathers were alcoholics. Who beat both of my grandmothers? Who? were essentially prisoners in their own home. Neither of them got their license. They weren't allowed to go to school by their husbands. My grandma, uh, what is it called, rebelled and she wore jeans for the first time like 30 years into her marriage with my grandfather right before he died mm. from pancreatic cancer from um, drinking. So yeah, just wore jeans for the first time. He wouldn't let he her. He didn't like that denim. No, only skirts. And she said, that's what it's what she wasn't what sort of ass back. Well, I know that's not true because the skirts were probably them sock hop sort of skirts like they were long skirts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Up to here. Up to. Yeah. yeah, She wasn't allowed to do anything unless he approved. But I guess the jeans would be much more form fitting. Yeah. Well, she wasn't allowed to wear pants. Like a billowing skirt. Yeah. Yeah. Only only skirts. And then she started wearing jeans Mm -hmm. and then she got a job, you know, so just things like that. But yeah. I think the older I get, I realize how insanely abusive my parents were when it came to corporal punishment. It was pretty bad, mm. but they would like they could never see it that way. You know, it's just a thing that you did yeah. when I grew up with welts on my body from getting beat because I wore the wrong socks or whatever it may be. But, yeah, yeah. no, it just like I, I can't connect whatever it is that you're supposed to connect that allows you. To grab a belt and then hit your offspring because they were being a kid. Yeah, that, you know, like oh, that. that just means that you have more option. Yes, for sure. That's that's what that means. Yeah, but it's it's an interesting thing, at least for me, to not be able. Like I understand where they were coming from, but that is like there's like I can't like there would be no situation ever in the world. Where my kid would just get beat with a belt. Or you just have me. to wail on them. Yeah, yeah like because never. Because you have no never. other recourse to like. Nothing. Because if you do something as bad as it calling for corporal punishment, like you'd probably be in jail. Like I would call the cops. 
Yeah, I think like, I think we like I said we underestimate our children and we don't think that they would understand certain things. But yeah. I've seen extremely precocious children. I've For seen sure. I've seen children understand things if you if you take the time. I think most kids could be precocious if they were spoken to like they should be, which right. is not a babbling two year old. Yeah, you know I think you could build them up to be. Yeah, just a bit more stellar than just a regular kid. When I told my parents that case, that things weren't which one? the only case that we're making here, which is that oh, you oh, are oh. not speaking to me about the reasoning behind things. And I felt that, you know, sometimes it's easier, like, to give your younger self positive attributes because you don't remember who you were as a kid. Like, you think I had to be some version of who I am now. Yeah. I really look back and with all the the honesty, I feel like I've been a pretty reasonable person. Um, that doesn't mean that I always made the right decisions, but but I've been I've always been interested in having conversations with yeah. people, spending time around people. Um but I've been fairly reasonable yeah. my whole life. Like if you, you talked to me and you said some things that made some decent sense. Like it doesn't mean I have to now adopt that thing, but I could I could see it. And there was just I I remember looking back like it just wasn't a thing. And so where you come from, this is definitely a trope in a lot of black mm -hmm. households, which is like you do it because I say so. Yeah. Like I pay the bills in this house, so I make the rules in this house. Yep. And 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 I also what comes with paying the bills is that I don't have to explain those rules. They're just rules for rule's sake. Yeah. You know, for you to be compliant for whatever situation. And uh, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not a good you know, way of building those, you know, any logicians. It's, it's no way of building any, any, any logical, you know, formulation in anyone's mind. You, just, you only feel oppression. And I think that that is what causes time. a lot of the a lot of the feeling that your parents are trying to like how many times have we heard like in a movie or some shit like that when a young one is screaming at their parent like you just want to ruin my life like right. you just don't but, but a lot of the times is because we, like there's no there's no understanding there like, you're just telling me no i can't do this thing and it's because you know what's best and that's it and then that's that i now have much more compassion for all of those parents that for do sure. that for sure. because I know what it takes to be able to explain something. And it's a lot. Yeah. This goes back to being a teacher because the first teacher are your, your, mm -hmm. your guides in life, right? Your, your parents, your guardians, and everyone is not fit to be a teacher. No. So you're so we're just bringing people into this world. And that's a problem. We don't got an understanding of what we doing or why we feel the way we're feeling, but we're going to bring them in and we we're just I don't know, we're just going to wing it. You know, we're just we're just going to wing it. I may end up beating you because I'm upset. This is sort of like the trainer, the trainer that told you about peptides but couldn't explain it <laughs> may have beat the shit out of you if they had free reign to do that and they felt right. like it, but they don't because it's a business setting and then you're an adult and they're an adult. And so th that in no world would that really happen. But in the, the degree of raising a child, how many times is the child raising questions or raising feelings right. 
evoking feelings inside of the parents that the parents don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so now their recourse is retaliation. Like they, they, they retaliate in a way that is not cool, calm, collected, calculated through speaking, through articulating words and ideas to their young one. So they retaliate, you know, just very impulsively. And they do this thing and they feel bad about it later. They buy you ice cream or whatever the case is. And they take you on a shopping spree, Mm -hmm. but that's 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 all they have. They don't know how to they don't think about things on a fabric level, right? On a on a thread, on a granular molecular level, and they don't understand how they feel about something or why you truly shouldn't be doing this or what it is they're trying to do when they when they make a new rule. Like they without that understanding, you only feel oppression from them. That's it. You just feel like you're just in this house and you're like, what the fuck is going on? I'm living this weird existence you while know, I'm in this place with these people and they get to rule everything I do, but I don't know why they're doing it. Like, it's it's a very weird existence. I don't know if it's the shrooms that we've done over the years and everything else altogether, and it's probably everything. But listening to you say all of this, whilst also acknowledging that I've never had children and I don't know what that feels like, 100% I acknowledge that is something that I cannot get in tune with at the moment. It just sounds to me so mind-blowingly irresponsible to have children and to raise them in, in such a way. Like they are not, like the world doesn't really revolve around them. Like it should be like it's your world and I'm living in it because I decided you should come be born and live with me. <laughs> well, that was what was going on in Outwitting the Devil when Napoleon Hill yeah. spoke about parents. It's like, listen, the, the game is fucked up. Yeah. And this was him speaking very early on about a formulation problem. That was when? That was, that was like 1920s, 1920s, right? something like that. Like it was early, early 1900s. 1900s. Yeah. And he's like calling out this. That's why the book was so crazy. Because he must have because uh, everything that he spoke about, education, child rearing, like everything, so can could. so easily be mapped onto what is going on right now. That's when you know. Damn it! I think I gave that book away. That's when you know some people. Uh, no, because we have two. There's another one. Oh, but the, when it can be mapped on throughout ages and ages, that's just wisdom. Yeah. That, that's just wisdom. Yeah. Like you can talk about something in 1900 and in 2023 it applies and you should read it. Yeah. Like it, like that's wisdom. Right. Um, yeah. Th- that's, that's pretty, that's, yeah, that's, that's a, lot so of, that's a lot of what that is, man. Yeah. No, it's so beautiful. Like I told you yesterday, my coworker brought her little two year old into, into work and it's just amazing to me. I, all I ever want to do is like observe the babies mm. and like just follow them around and see what they're into, you know, and, and just, what the world must look like when you're two, you know, and just how everyone in the space that we were sharing just like knows that it's this baby's world right now. Like we're all going to cater to him and we're going to follow him around and ask him questions. And if he wants to be left alone, then that's what we're going to do. And if he wants to play with us and that's what we're going to do. You know, it's, it's so interesting to make living things and, not cater to them in the most proper healthy ways you know because it's not to say that your baby leads the way that your life should go it's a funky one but it's 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 time i i I give a very charitable outlook on all these parents yeah because as i as i go down to the bare minimum i always go down to the, the fundamentals time attention effort yeah or energy 
our parents were too busy getting their ass whooped, mm-hmm. right? Having to live around a bunch of alcoholics or whatever the case is, people that were, you know, emotionally not super intelligent or just unavailable fully, um, whatever. And, and, mm-hmm. and having to try to make a way in this world yeah. in a way that we don't know, right? Our parents are working far harder than we are. 100%. And that's just a fact. 100%. That's just a fact. And that took a lot of time, right? And it's a lot of time that you don't get to sit down and meditate. And a lot of time you don't get to sit and just read through books leisurely. A lot of money you don't get right? to save. Like, I think about the the life that we live. It's so wildly fortunate. And, and so when I speak about gratitude... It's hard to tell other people to be grateful for things, you know, because you get the immediate resistance of you don't know my life. You don't know other people's lives. You don't know what people need to be grateful for. That's fine. I'm done speaking from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm just speaking about me. Um, When I was reading Cersei, mm, right? Love that book. Yeah. And they were just speaking about this, this Greek mythology they're just speaking about these gods up in mount olympus hanging out Mm -hmm. just eating grapes and drinking wine perpetually because they can't really get drunk out of their mind and get crazy like they can't die they're gods they're having a great time they're just having sex and they're all beautiful and they're laughing and they're just abundance all exhibiting all of their powers that they all individually hold and it's just great place great life for them but it's so leisure Everything that they do is like, there's no job, Mm -hmm. not really. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're God. So yeah, like maybe you're the God of love. You're the God of war. So like you go and you decimate a land because you can just throw a spear down and kill everyone or you just go make people fall in love. But that's just, that's just fun for you. You know, going around and exhibiting your, your godly given talents, right? Your powers. And we are on that scale everyone is on that scale Mm -hmm. you know the things that you must do for survival versus leisure Mm -hmm. the the idea that we have time to sit and record podcasts whenever (laughs) like the 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 fact that we just have the time the money the, the the equipment to sit around and just talk yeah is crazy mm-hmm. when you look at time because most people in time have been trying to figure out how to get away from predators right how to avoid death from other like impending tribes of human beings how to conserve food how, how to generate heat just just all the basics yeah, to what sure. it is to, to survive sure. things, how to innovate to make things just a little bit better than they were the time before. Right. And, and some people would say, well, oh, that's just what we're doing now. Yeah. But we're in a time of excess now. We're in a time where this has never occurred in human history whatsoever. We're living in a completely different way than any human has ever. I mean, that we know of. Right. Mm-hmm. Because people talk about ancient civilizations that may have been where we are or beyond where we are. Isn't now, that amazing? Right. That we just don't know about because they were wiped out from asteroids or, what, or you know, ice ages or whatever in the past. That's so beautiful. You know, just natural me, that, history. That idea in its own. It's insane. Love like, it. like we have no idea. But, you know, we 
I mean, yeah, it's just it's just a, it's a wild way of being. And we just have so much time to just read books and, and record podcasts, listen to podcasts, and go, go out, fire. go out with friends. When we would watch Downton Abbey, uh, like and we would just just look at the rich, I, some you know, and it's on all those sort of 17th, 18th century books that I read, all those classics, mm. The Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, you know, uh, Daniel Deronda. Uh, by George Eliot or Marianne Evans, we should say, Marianne right? Evans. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all of those, the Dostoevsky novels, uh, the Wuthering Heights, or not the Wuthering Heights, what was the other one that I read that had mm-hmm. Pip in it? Great Expectations. Great Expectations, right. right? There's a movie about that, I think, on Netflix. I've been meaning oh, to watch really? it with you. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's a bit older, but I'd love I'll to watch it. I'll definitely watch it. I think that's better that it's older. But, but in all of these things, you always had the extremely wealthy somewhere yeah. in the book. Like you were going to be around some extremely, extremely That's wealthy people. Uh, Middle March was another mm. one, but you would always just see these people and you would just ask yourself, like, what are they doing? All of the scenes are just people going over to tea parties and just like talking about the talks of the town. And like, that's what mostly what women were doing. They were going to school to learn how to be the most impressive, sort of like a, a geisha, right. In, right. in Japan, like, learning how to sew and how to dance and how to sing and how to cook and clean and, how, you know, perfect etiquette. They were learning how to be the best wives possible, like the best partners, well, wives, really, possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're just leisure, just hanging out, you know. And then, and then you add the men doing some work, bringing home money. But just looking at those visions of people just hanging out and it's like, but but they still had their issues, right? They, they would have them going off and crying and it seemed all very telenovela-ish. It all seemed very soap opera. But it seemed so leisure. And what we, a lot of us don't understand is that we are living the same life. Oh, 100%. Like, like, the, like a lot of the jobs that people house, they're not... It's not grueling work. And we spend so much time in in pockets where you can you can easily look into the future and think of a time when you're going to be sick or be on your deathbed or be just dealing with something horrific and just envision wishing that you were back in a moment where you felt like things sucked or it was boring or whatever. You and you just know that, which means that you're living a, a beautiful life right now, 100%. but there is something that is clouding you from being able to see it. And it seems to be this idea of looking forward, yes, this, this idea of more. looking forward and looking backwards. Like what happened in the past? Like, why did I do this thing? Why did I say this thing? Or why didn't things this things could have been like mm-hmm. this. Things should. And, you know, that word is Crazy. so loaded because you don't know what should be right. Like what is is what is. We know that. Right, so maybe we should just work off of that yeah. programming. But and you're looking forward, like the next thing is going to bring me happiness. Like the next, the, the next, next raise, the next, the next place, promotion, the next, the raise, next vacation. vacation. Mm-hmm. It could, it could just be the next moment. Like I'm at work right now, but like once I get home, I'm gonna have dinner, and like that, that'll be cool. Like once I get home, but like it's this constant thinking that the next thing or moment's going to bring you happiness yeah. when. When you hear philosophers speak about this, it's fascinating to know, to have this understanding unlocked in your mind that as soon as you get to whatever point it is that you think, I need this trophy, 
I need this next raise is going to make me now I'm going to make $100,000. I'm going to make $150,000 a year. I'm going to make whatever. As soon as you do that, that moment is gone. Like the very nature of a moment is for it to be gone. Right. It is naturally ephemeral. It is naturally fleeting. So as soon as you get there, it's gone. It's already a memory. So if you're working on that software, then the only natural thing to do after you've achieved that is like, oh, well, what's the next thing that's supposed to bring me happiness? And you're, you're, you're perpetually Non-stop. looking for the next thing as opposed to finding practices that root you in the moment and knowing that ultimately the moment that you're sharing right now is, is just that moment in that moment within itself that power of now that I think Eckhart Tolle mm-hmm. has spoken about. I believe that's his book. Uh, and my aunt spoke to me about that when I was very young, like 19 or 20, something like that. Uh, just that, that very understanding that the power is here, that, that the wealth of life is found in every moment if you lock into it. But you, you, but you have to create practices that allow you to notice what is actually happening in the moment and that, if you would, if you knew anything about war or famine and you truly lived inside of that terror for a day, you would you would immediately know, oh, my gosh, this isn't happening to me every day. Like, right. like I'm not going through this. People are not dropping bombs on me right now. Like Everywhere. I, like all the there, time, there's yeah. food all the time everywhere around me i can take me. a shower whenever in any temperature that i would like there are people around me that do care for me there there's there's opportunities around i'm not dealing with constant debilitating pain every day and maybe and maybe you are and there are other things that mm-hmm. you have to you know look at in your life but it's um other things that for you to look at in your life to present to you the beauty of it is, yeah. is what I'm saying. Like even yeah. if you have some of these issues going on, there are still people within those that find a way, mm-hmm. which is what was remarkable about the book uh, um, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Mm. Frankel. One of the most transformative books I'd ever read because it was about a psychiatrist, I believe, or a psychologist, one of those inside of a Nazi death camp. Wow. And and clearly he had survived it. And he wrote a book about that account of time in a in a historical sense, in an experiential sense, in a neurological sense. Like He spoke about it all uh, sort of the way that Michael Pollan had divvied Mm. up his, you know, how to change your mind book about psychedelics into three different parts. But he spoke about it in such an eloquent way and spoke about the way that human beings will adapt. You will you can find ways of experiencing meaning. And what you think are just the most dire and just dreadful of situations. And if he and other people can do that in a death camp where people are being marched into gas chambers and shot and killed in various ways, then how can we not do that here in America, in the States? Like we're dealing with so much tragedy because of our mental states just lingering around. And, you know, Stoicism and Marcus Aurelius would say that the quality of your life is based upon the quality of your thoughts. Um, some people feel like that's a bunch of bullshit. Another thing that I'll take out of this book in front of me drunk is that uh, they, they speak about magic. And there was a guy named Arthur C. Clarke. I think he was a writer or something like that. He was some prolific 
person that had stated that any advanced form of technology is going to seem like magic to the non-initiated. Right. Which was beautifully put because that means because it's not just like technology in the sense of like tech wear right, that right, we think right. of advance. It's any it's any form of advancement that people are truly, truly advanced inside of. Mm-hmm. It's that's going to seem like magic to someone that has no idea mm-hmm. about it at all. Like it, like if you start if you go to a civilization that knows no, knows nothing. There's still some small indigenous group that has not been contacted by the outside world, you know, about anything. And they're still just hunting and gathering and doing regular rituals and ceremonies and stuff like that and burning their their food on a fire at night, telling stories, whatever. Um, and you bring them an iPhone or you bring them I a laptop like or any, like that's they're going to be looking at it like what? Is this piece of sorcery in front of me? What is this? is this person? They might want to kill you. They don't know what it is. They may be so fearful. They have no idea. They can't even conceptualize it. And what's great is that that idea kind of spills out into everything in life. And so there are ideas about our way of living that sound like magic. Okay. Even as I speak about them, I know that. If you don't understand something and you have a, an initial reaction of like resistance towards it for whatever reason, and it could be just because you're fearful of what this person is talking about, like you're just not going to understand it at that time. Maybe it's just not your time. But when Sam Harris, lifelong, well, not lifelong, yeah, you could say that kind this time, kind of yeah. lifelong meditator, neuro, neuroscientist, mor- philosopher. moral philosopher, when he talks about waking up. That's a fascinating analogy that you go to sleep at night and when you go to sleep, you have a firm understanding where you are, like what bed you're in, who's around you, all that sort of stuff. But then if you slip into a dream, you go into a dream. And for most people that are not lucid dreaming, you there is there is no continuity between the life you were just living when you got in the bed and this life you're now living where you're a pirate on a boat in the middle of the ocean fighting a kraken, you know, so that you can get back to grandma's house for dinner on time. Right. Right. Like that, like there's, you don't even bat an eye at it. You're just like a pirate and you got to figure that shit out. You're just in your dream. And then when you wake up, there's no surprise. You may remember it. You may not, but there's no surprise that you were just a pirate on a ship, but then you wake up in a regular life, but you know that in both aspects, you were you, like you didn't change. Mm -hmm. You were you the whole time. And so when I speak about this idea of waking up to life and getting your noticings per seconds up, you know, you're noticing per seconds up your, your frames per second, your moments per second yeah. up and augmenting the, the rate at which you are observing life around you and integrating with that. It is like waking up. Yeah. And so for people that don't understand that idea at all, and it sounds like witchcraft is because you've never been at a point in your life where a, a door has opened up and you're like, I was not, this wavelength was not available to me before. I was not privy to this. I was not seeing life in this robust nature before. I was not seeing the detail to things before. I was not paying attention to a lot of things before. And the world has opened up in a way and shown itself to me in a way 
that I I had no idea I was missing before. It's like it's like being able to go from just regular vision to now being able to cl- flip a switch and see X-ray vision as well, or I flip think- another switch and see like infrared as well, or night vision as well. It's like just being able to switch and see a completely different frequency yeah. of life that before was just not accessible. I think it's. I think that's too advanced. I think it's more so like you've had really bad vision your whole life, but then you had no idea you had bad vision. I don't think it was regular vision. I think that you just weren't really seeing things and everything was just like shapes and shadows. And then you get prescription glasses that you didn't know that you needed. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. I haven't been looking at it at all, like to any degree, let alone infrared vision. Like there was nothing for me to see. And now I see something. Yeah. Like that's that's crazy. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to say it too much, which I haven't said it one time. But <laughs> You don't know what I'm going to say? Is it going to be something about psychedelics? Yes, of course it is. <laughs> Fran, I I remembered what you said about me being the the shroom spokesperson, but no. But I think I think as I always say, mindfulness meditation it's certainly, it's certainly a gateway to help you broaden your spectrum and to realize that your vision is quite, quite shady and, as a matter of fact, almost non-existent. I also believe that if you are a right candidate, because I also don't believe that everyone in the world should just do psychedelics, but if you are the correct candidate, I think it's, it's, it broadens your heart and your horizons in a way that meditation i don't think can fully and it just takes a bit longer if you're not surrounded surrounded by the correct material people in are practicing in the manner that you should <clears throat> segue this brings us into the the book that you and i both read from, oh. the, from the reese witherspoon book club christy tate um christy tate's book on group, group therapy or her her experience going into a group therapy yeah. uh, or a therapy group in an unconventional one, right? Very where much where so. most group uh, or most therapy it's it's anonymous, right? So most group therapy alcohol is anonymous or you know eating disorders or whatever the group is structured to mm-hmm. to help people with. Usually anonymous, you go in first name, first letter of last name, right. you know dot. Um, you don't speak to those people really outside Mm -hmm. of the group. You don't speak in group about things that are going on outside or other people Mm -hmm. in the world. You just, you bring it back to yourself and your feelings and, and your accountability in whatever situation. You don't speak about the group members or whatever it is. Literally your experience of what you're dealing with. Right. And that's it. Which seems to be the conventional group therapy module, like, uh, module, um, and so she was an up and coming lawyer mm-hmm. right now. She's like an essayist and she's a lot of things. Stuff, she's a very but, smart woman, which which, by the way, wasn't noted in the book that she was doing these other things mm-hmm. while she was. So maybe this came after no, I think it was after. Yeah, this this, this book was written. Um, but she you know, she wrote this book about clearly having an eating disorder, having already been inside of. A group for that eating disorder for a very long time. I feel like three years or something. And and having what she felt like at least tamed the Mm -hmm. eating disorder into just eating 
It's very random. Seven apples for dessert. Yeah, kind of just like weird, weird things yeah. to, that she felt like didn't trigger her overeating. The, the overeating component. Because she, I don't know if this matters, but she was bulimic, not anorexic. So she would binge eat. Yes. And that could be like in one sitting or throughout the day and then purge all of that out. Like it was nobody's business. Right. Um, clearly a lot of body image issues mm-hmm. from the past. Um, always wanting to look like the thinner girl. She grew up in ballet, I think, or in dance. And she yeah. said that all the other girls were very tiny. It just calls for a tinier. Like, I, I suppose maybe in this day and age it's changing. But, I don't believe so. From, I know a lot but, of ballerinas. And in they, this. they have petite. I think it's newer, but it most certainly is not, I don't know if accepted as a word, like you're supposed to be tall and slender mm-hmm. and flat, mm-hmm. sort of like a model. Like you yeah. don't see voluptuous people. You're supposed to look sort of like a model. In well, a sense. models are changing these days because yes. there's models for a lot of different things. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Like I, a no, supermodel. Like, yeah, yeah, I see what you're You saying. know what I mean? Like yeah. a Tyra Banks, Cindy Crawford. Like they looked like a certain way in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's more so the idea. I think it's expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're supposed to be like tiny, flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's what she remembers is going to ballet class and her instructor being like belly in, Mm -hmm. belly in, like always constantly telling her to tuck her belly in when like she didn't have to tell the other girls Mm because the other girls, I guess, didn't have a belly that was poking out. Either way, she she finds that she's been in terrible relationships where it seems the other person is never truly committed to her. Yeah. They just kind of see her as like this is just happening in passing. Um, she had an it, clear intimacy issues where she, she wouldn't, the, the, again, the body image issues where she was constantly wearing a bra, like two bed two, or two or, or, or two to three bras because she, because her boobs to her felt weird to have, like, and just be out there, I guess. And you, you I know it, it sounds weird as a man, mm-hmm. but I think. I would like to say that Christy Tate, from what I have read, also sounds like she errs on the emotional un- instability. Un- instability. Instability. Yeah. And errs. Errs on the side of instability. Yes. Like, not just like a regular person with regular people issues. She seems like chemically just a bit off than most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely did. I wore two bras. I, I told you I got my period, uh, my puberty when I was nine. So I had B-sized cups in, like, fifth grade. And boys are boys. And you have a lot of testosterone running around. And when you're the only girl with boobs, you don't actually like that because you're young. Mm. You know, you're not in high school wanting to show off. So I used to wear two bras all the time. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. Especially in gym class. You didn't want nothing to move. Mm. You wanted, yeah. And I remember... We used to call them camis. I don't know what the actual name for them are. Those little like aeropostale thin shirts that mm. girls used to wear all the time. Mm. I could never wear them because I would have so much cleavage. So I would have to buy like extra large shirts, even though it was like a medium at the time, to make sure that nothing would hang out of that shirt. Mm. Like that it would come up as high as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds kind of crazy. And I think she's a little cray cray. I don't, I don't think that it sounds crazy. Like it. it like it, it makes sense the way that you're yeah. displaying it the same way when JP came on and talk, talked oh, about her, you know, her huge knockers. God bless her. You know her. what I mean? We, it, it, when she spoke about it, it made sense before, mm-hmm. too. The, the back issues that she has, just like the level of discomfort trying to go to sleep. I can only fathom. And like not wanting, like she likes to lay on her stomach, but 
is also JP. So that's a difficult feat to achieve. I can't even imagine. Um, Anywho, she'll be back soon because we're going to do our Thanksgiving, you know, uh, time pod that we've been doing like the last three years, which has just been interesting. Um, So I'm excited to see her, see how things are going. But um, so what we thought, oh, yeah. So her so her and this. uh, This this thing that she's going through, she just had a, a ton of issues just trying to have intimate relationships with other human beings. Like she never really learned how to do that and what that means. And so she seeks out this doctor and this doctor goes about things differently. One, she realizes that this doctor she's going to see immediately. She recognizes him from a past, from the group that she was once a part of, the the eating disorder group, but he was in it for something else. Like he had like a drug yeah, addiction no, he problem. Also had an eating disorder. He had an eating disorder as well. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had an eating disorder. As well. So, right. So she's already looking at him like, how's his eating disorder having motherfucker going to be a therapist to me? And she's not giving the, the room for everyone to have some issues and something or for people to grow out of mm-hmm. issues and for that maybe to be the perfect person mm-hmm. to be in this position. But she goes along with it. He tells her exactly what it's going to be, that it's a group that people come along. It's going to be extremely honest. You have to give all of yourself to this thing and you will build intimate relations through time. And she goes into it. And I guess the point that we're kind of getting to in in all of this is that she goes, she starts in like one group, like once a week or twice a week. And she then he upgrades her and he's like, listen, I think you need to be a part of two groups. And then at one part, she's a part of three groups. And she's going to this place like three or four times a week at different points in the day. And then she scales back to two groups when she then graduates somehow. Right. She's from one other group. Yeah. So she, now she's just in like two groups. But ultimately, she's she's showing us a very vulnerable side of her. Mm-hmm. She's telling us all these things, which I applaud her for, because that's for very, sure. very difficult to talk about. Absolutely. You know, like having anal sex with so and so and so and so or being in a relationship with this guy that as soon as you guys are about to become intimate, he just turns you over and just starts having sex with you from the back and just stuffs your face in a pillow. And like you're a little aroused by it, but you're not really liking it really though. Or the guy who also is in therapy with someone else, but is depressed and can't seem to find himself being intimate with you. Oh, right. They'll jack off in bed and then ask with you. you if you want to join. And then you just sit there and, and just, not join, like touch him, just no, join, just like, like you masturbate yeah, over there and I'll masturbate over here. Right. Like being in yeah. that sort of relationship or the one where uh, he's married and has children and he keeps telling you and, and he's also in your therapist group, but just like on a different day. Mm-hmm. Right. So you guys have the same therapist. You go to the same guy and you guys both bring each other's news to different groups under the same therapist. So everyone in this ecosystem knows about you all's issues. It's very, very vulnerable. And this guy was had also tried to cheat with one of the guys' the wives. Yeah. Like, so we all knew about this guy. It was like, it was literally one of the other patients. Oh, I thought it she was, was a the woman. Wife. I thought, well, either way, she had spoken Anyways, to that yes, person, yes, which sure. made me believe it was like another patient. 
it could have been one of the wives, but either way, she was she was in communication with this other woman. Yes, yes. That that you know was going through this same deal with this same married I think man. It was Lauren's wife. Right. Yeah. So so either way, a lot of issues. Right. For sure. She's going in there. She's having temper tantrums. She's <laughs> she's smashing God, dishes. She's. B- bashing her head with ceramic vases, she she's doing she's doing a lot. She's of ripping the, her hair out with her hands, and she, people have to stop her. Right. Yeah. She's throwing shoes at other people yeah. in the meeting. Like she she has a lot of tantrums where she just kind of just goes off. She's calling the therapist late at night, screaming at him, saying he's not doing his job. Why can't you fix me? I thought you were going to fix me. Yeah. You're a bullshit therapist. Blah 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 blah. Um. Very, very interesting stuff. And again, I'm not necessarily sold on his on his therapy, but, it, you know, people can read it and figure out what they think yeah. for it themselves. Because he does give very interesting prescriptions yes. for people to go out in the world and, and to do certain things that he feels like will, you know, mitigate or ameliorate whatever very unique yes. style of suffering that they're going through. Like, before you go to bed at night, call this other patient. Right. That you sit in a circle with once or twice a week. Call them and tell them what you're eating at night. Tell them how many apples you're about to eat before you go to bed. Right. Because his idea, the whole underlying idea behind his therapy is. You don't need an answer. Right. You don't need for us or anyone to give you a solution. What you need is a witness to things. Mm -hmm. You need people to talk to that will that will listen to you, that will share with you that will hear you, that will acknowledge you, that will accept you. Like you, you just need that. You need real intimate relationships and it it will work itself out. But you just have to give it that time and you have to give it that effort, that attention. Mm. Boom. Um, Now you and I initially were reading this book and you, you before me, because you get further along in the Mm -hmm. book before I do, you start to question therapy in and of itself. So would you like to speak about that? Yeah, I guess I do speak too much. So I'm trying to, to give the most concise version of of what I experienced reading that book. But essentially, as we spoke about, I love the idea of truth being at the forefront, you know, sort of utter truth. I like the fact that the group started or is a non-anonymous group. It's like, this is who we are, and this is what's going on, and this is what we're sharing with each other. Now, as you pointed out to me, I also acknowledge that not many people get to have someone in their life that sort of feels like therapy all of the time. You know, that that conversation, that sort of environment, which is something you and I share. Um, now, where it gets a bit shaky for me is that... It seems as all right, though. So, all, right, so, all right. So let's slow this down for a second so everyone can follow. Because I wanted you to speak on your initial your initial point here. So your initial point okay, is that. Then let's hold that. Can you hold that thought? Bathroom break? Yes. All right. Bathroom okay, break. Bathroom break. <laughs> okay. And we're back. Okay. So, so this is the reason why I stopped you because okay. I feel like we're moving a little too fast. Okay. That. Okay. I want you to give your initial thoughts as you're reading the book about thoughts, okay. her experience, don't talk about how it has been revised since then. Okay, or my okay, my initial thoughts were, I love this. Okay, um, because I had never, not super familiar with therapy. I tried therapy for a little bit a few years ago. It just didn't 
talking to you feels much better. Okay. So in, in that you spoke to a woman on the phone or on, on Zoom? On Zoom because I right. wasn't. I just want you to talk. Yes. I want you to sort of paint the picture of what that looked like because you said you tried therapy. Yes. So what what it looked like was you on Zoom. On Zoom because I wasn't allowed into the office because I was not vaccinated. Right. Um, at the time. But we talked on Zoom for an hour and she would just ask me questions. Very few of them. So it was really more so like if I came to a pod room by myself and started recording and talking and like you would just pop in every once in a while and just like ask me about how something felt. Yeah. So I didn't really like that idea. Um, I tried it for like a month, maybe two. And yeah, it just wasn't for me. Um, And I felt as though I was getting a lot more from psychedelics. That was the first time I did psychedelics was like two weeks after I started therapy. And it just felt like it was way more rewarding and efficient to speak to my partner and to try to meditate and to to do a lot of introspective work. But upon reading this book, I was like zooming through it. I, yeah, I thought that this style of group therapy was very worthwhile. I think it felt innovative because I had never felt read about it or, or heard about it before. Um, and just the premise of honesty being at the forefront of what it is that we're doing here, I thought was extremely beautiful and valuable. And then you continued to read the book and you felt differently. Yes. Okay. So I am reading the book and I, I felt as though the aha moment was going to come a little bit quicker and it feels as though it never came. Because whilst there was a lot of, like, it was centered around truth, it also felt like it was lacking, like, true accountability, in a sense. And an example that I can give of that is that five years into group therapy, she's still throwing tantrums and smashing plates. Because something I thought was beautiful at the beginning, I should say, is that she was able to express her rage and anger in a rageful way, which was like either cursing at Dr. Rosen or smashing something. And I thought, that's beautiful because I've also struggled with anger and how to express that. And it was never shown to me how to do like how to feel it and accept it being there and sort of work through it in a healthy way, the way the meditation has shown to me. But then Five years in, she's still smashing plates and ripping her hair out and screaming. And I felt that there was a lack of conversation being had when it came to like, all right, I understand that whatever it is that you're going through makes you upset, even though for some reason you have gone through the same situation 17,000 times in the past five years, as we've read in the book. I can give space for that. But then... It doesn't seem like we spoke about meditation or psychedelics was a part of the conversation in any way, shape, or form. And that it wasn't spoken about as to, like, when do we speak about the tantrums? Like, when do we stop accepting them? When do we speak about stopping the acceptance of these tantrums and what it means for a 30, almost 35-year-old woman, 32-year-old woman... To have spent so much time in therapy three times a week to still feel the need to 
throw a tantrum because for some reason it is way too daunting to actually deal with the emotions that are at play. Because it almost feels to me like a little bit of a, either a cop-out or not the best method of, of interacting with that. So that's when I started to lose my excitement was when the beginning of the book still felt like the end of the book. Mm. Like we hadn't made as much progress as I thought we were, which makes me or leads me to believe that there's, you know, quite a few flaws here. But then I, I started questioning therapy, like you said. Mm. And then, you know, you helped me figure out that I, I definitely believe that people need these spaces for probably forever. You know, you need. Right. Because uh, Let me cut you off for a second. Sure. Try to clean this up a little bit. So, yes. Yeah, so you're looking at it initially. And you're just thinking, oh, this is great. Truth. Awesome. Then you continue to read and you're just like, wait a minute. She's been doing this for years. She's still throwing temper tantrums. She's still, like, this is this is wildly unacceptable. But she's in a space where they accept it and they, mm -hmm. they encourage it. And maybe, you know, that's supposed to be some of the secret sauce. But at what point are we going to acknowledge and address the fact that that's not the way that you should be treating other people, no matter how it is that you're feeling and trying to address that mm -hmm. and trying to put in practice something that will help you stop doing that thing, right? Yeah. As opposed to, well, this person is a part of my group family, so therefore I can treat them however because that's the rules that are laid down in here. Like I, I'm, I can, yeah. I can speak to them however, as long as we're because honest. it's a safe space, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but there's no, there, there seem to be no dealings on how to speak to someone respectfully, right? And 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 not be cutting them off in the middle of like them telling their story, and now you just want to. You, you just you just want to monopolize all the time in there by talking about your things, right? So there there must there has to be etiquette even within like a, a mm -hmm. truthful space, right? And you just felt like that wasn't being, and I also felt like that wasn't being acknowledged in that book. Like they were just kind of moving over that, and it's just like truth reigns, whatever. Yeah. Speak however, scream at people, do whatever it is you want, and that like that's the way they did things. And we felt like through that five years, at first it was like a year that went by. Then it was two three, years, three years, four years, and, and it was five, just. And, then it's and you're like, okay, so what's what's happening here? And she very very, I won't say nonchalantly, I will say proudly proclaimed at the end that she's a lifer. She's going to be in this group therapy for as long as, as she possibly can. I can only imagine the amount of money that this dude is making or that various therapists are making within these these groups. Right? This was like in the early 2000s mm. and she was paying $840 a month in like 2002 or whenever the yeah. heck this was And happening. that's one person and there would be like eight, like six or seven people in one group. And he had like three had, to five groups or something many like groups. that. Yeah, so he was definitely making some good money. Yeah. Um, but so, so at the, so now we're reading this and we're, we're losing or th this, this mode, this module of, um, or model, I should say of therapy is losing credibility with us. Like yes. as we're reading along, it seems like what's really happening is he just wrangling in money it, like are these people is he just is this a cult even she questioned whether it was a Certainly cult various times feeling yes um because he seemed to just be at the head of it with a lot of power mm -hmm. and you know and it was just and just giving out prescriptions to people you know it's just very very interesting stuff either way um then we i start thinking about it 
more and more as mm-hmm. I'm reading it. And I'm thinking about this person that's that's clearly has a lot of issues going on in her yeah. mind and and is going to a therapy group. And I'm like, hmm, you know, I've known people to go to therapy. Yeah. And I very rarely get in-depth accounts of what's going on. Like I heard people minimalistically yeah. talk about it like very sparingly. Go, I go in, you know, we kind of talked about this thing. They kind of helped me realize like this is a thing that I do, you know, or this is this is a set of words that I have a resistance to for some reason or, you know, whatever the case is. And then some people get out, some people stay in. But you can still see them just working through quite so much years and years into therapy. Yeah. And you, you start to ask yourself this question, like for, like uh, like pharmacology, you start to ask yourself, is this is this a short term sort of thing you're supposed to be doing? Like when people put you on meds, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, the, the pharmaceutical industry, they're always just trying to put people on drugs and just keep them on there. They don't want to give them any other recourse yeah. to like getting better. But people heavily support therapy. Mm-hmm. And are we asking the question of, is therapy something that's supposed to help you get out of therapy? Or is therapy supposed to be something that shows you that you will always be here and there's always work to be done and you always need a therapist in order for that to happen? Like, I don't know. I haven't spoken to different people. I'm certain that different people do it for differently. Sure. The woman you went to was your experience and it was very different than other people's experience. For sure. You felt like it was just very lackluster. What I, I think that the issue could be. I could be completely wrong. I feel as though accountability is huge. And I don't know whether it's a format of what a professional should look like in in a therapist setting, whether it's a counselor or a mediator or a psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever it is, is that it's it's like it's, it's your fault or it's not your fault, but you are responsible, which I think it's something that I think lacked huge in in a huge way in this book was that i think safe spaces can be extremely dangerous because you can realize oh maybe i shouldn't have done this thing and you talk about it in group and you smash plates but there's no practices set in place to just realize where this came from why you want to smash this plate why you are smashing the plate and should we keep smashing the plates Mm. You know, it, it's just like, oh, like you smash the plates here in group. You know, there like, is there is such a thing as safe and, and uncomfortable. You know, mm-hmm. there, there, there is such a thing as being able to know that you're in a in a space yeah. in between four walls and a ceiling. Right. And a floor. And that ultimately you feel like it's safe. Like there's no real impending danger coming yeah. in. Like You can feel that. And then you can also conceptualize within that same space. There's something going on inside of it. It makes you a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that it's unsafe. Yeah. So I feel like there is a balance there. Like you, you, you do want to make a safe space, as I try to do here, and just in general, trying to facilitate a safe space because you want people to feel yeah. comfortable enough to express. Because if it's not safe, they're not going to express. Yeah. You know. So you're going to want that, and at the same time, just give this this level of discomfort through growth because growth is uncomfortable. Yeah. Like it's it's not a comfortable process to go through. And so just to wrap this up, that was our our pr- progression throughout the book. And then as I'm reading it, I'm thinking about this person going into this group. 
because she's speaking about the time she's going in a lot. She's speaking mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to go in now three times a week, you know, for an hour and a half here, an hour and a half there. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, even even for her going two, three times a week, like it's a lot. But in the true nature of everything, it's not a lot. Right? Like an hour of your time goes by so fast. Right? Like it was more so it, every group was an hour and a half. An hour and a half goes by so yeah. fast. Right. A year goes by fast. So sure. an hour and a half goes by very fast. Yes, yes. So the point being, if you go somewhere for an hour and a half and that is now, as I brought back before, and this mm-hmm. is where we're in this um, in enclave. Right. Yeah. Then that is what you do there in that space. Once you leave those doors, yeah. you are back in regular ass life with people living all sorts of different ways, but ultimately kind of still in one swath of a way, right? Which is absent minded, not always super considerate, not always emotionally regulated, right? All these types of things. Um, not particularly wise. Now, the the reason why I brought that into play was because you were really you were really thinking about it. You're like, man, what the fuck is therapy like really doing for people if you have to stay engaged for so long? Like there has to be some other implementation of mindfulness and and meditation and, and psychedelics that could that could improve the efficacy or the efficiency of this thing. We can get there quicker. We can get there better. Like these were the thoughts that we these were the yeah. conversations we were having. And then I say to you, let's be blessed and let's be grateful that that we're in a situation where this is where we live. Mm-hmm. This is our life. Yeah. We live inside of it. Yeah. Some people, a lot of people are going to a place where they feel like it's safe, but it's a little uncomfortable so they can do a little bit of growing. And if you know anything about being in that zone it's like being in a float tank where time doesn't time goes. You have no real, you know, perception of time. It just it just goes. So you're sitting there and you're really you feel like you're really getting into something. And as soon as you really start to get into something, it's like beep, like, oh, we're, we're out of time for today. Like, you know, I'll see you again next week, <laughs> you know, or however often yeah, you go. And sure. then you go back out into life where people are not practicing what no, was practiced in that room. So when you go back out in the world and your friends and your family and your acquaintances and, yeah. you, you know, all that, so your co-workers are not yeah. a part of that enclave. They're not a part of that uh, that sort of uh, covenant. Mm-hmm. Right. That that is housed by these these rules and these understandings, these these wisdoms. Then, yeah, it's going to take a long, yeah. long time to get through a lot of things. It doesn't mean you should stop doing it. Yeah. Uh, but, it's probably but, better than to do it. Cause I don't think people hardly ever get there. You know, I'm thinking of your friend that has these bad relationships with these certain words, mm-hmm. you know, that, that doesn't, I seem, think a lot of people have those by the way. Yeah, I do too. But you know, from what I understand, like she speaks about it, like she recognizes that there's probably an issue here. Mm-hmm. Because she found this out through therapy, whether mm-hmm. the therapist probably pointed this out to her. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it stops. Slash me. Oh, right. Because I most certainly pointed some words out that I felt like it was like, okay, I'm explaining things and I use this word and there's a, there's a resistance, a resistance yeah. right? But then 
I'll do the other thing where I just speak without using that word and I'll describe that word in other ways. And it's and then we're like, we're on equal footing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, well, you know that that is this thing. this yeah. word, right? And they're like, well, how is that that word? And then I it would have to, you know, expound and yeah. and get into it. And I believe one of the words was control. Yes. You know, it was like taking control of a situation. And there seemed to just be a huge resistance around take, taking control, yeah. um, you know, versus sort of just giving a space for, for things to happen. And um, and how that may be a sense of taking control of a situation is just like relinquishing what you felt like was control, you know, is taking control over a situation and just having to reform that concept is like, oh, you like reconceptualize the whole idea around it. And you're like, oh, okay, like that word isn't bad, right? Like people have that with the word manipulate. People have that with the word moist. People (laughs) have that with a lot of different words that they just inherently don't like for whatever reason. So. So yeah, that that's a very very interesting book. Yeah. Um I definitely was not blown away uh by it, but it was I think she did a great job writing her story. Yeah, for sure. She did a beautiful for job sure. writing her story and the beginning it got me excited. It got me going. I couldn't wait to come home and read that book after work. Yeah, but it what made me realize, you know, through this conversation here today and reading this book and everything else in life is that you know, we value and we partake in constant self-exploration, you know, through conversation, through psychedelics, through meditation, through challenges that we bring upon ourselves or just the world brings to us, you know. And I think I think that's huge. I think that's what lacks, um, you know, because you can accept like, oh, yeah, maybe I do have this issue with this word. But it but it often seems like those certain types of issues just stop there. You know, there's no explorate, like true exploration or or, or just a real, what am I looking for? Um, Yeah, just like a search, a a wanting to figure out why this is the case and and, and like, should I try to move on from that? And what does that look like for me? Mm. You know, what practices do I have to set in place? What do I have to bring in? What do I have to let go of? Um, and I think I think that's huge because if I'm still smashing plates in group therapy seven years later and no one has told me that that is a huge issue and then I figure that out later, I'm like something's got to change. Yeah. Yeah. But I get it. it's difficult to look out and think that the large group that you cohabitate with is incorrect. Yeah. In a fundamental way in which they live. or You know well, what I mean? It's very, very yeah, difficult. Because I come from the opposite. You know, I What's realized. That? Well, that I realized in the past few years that the large group, which is life that I've always existed in, never like was truthful to me. So, like, I, I feel like I'm constantly. That's, yeah, I know. That's so that's the exact point that I'm saying. Oh, I guess. Is that it's very difficult to to be in that state. And that's, and that's simply because you had to be around someone that was, that was constantly questioning everything, what you, <laughs> what you had come to yeah. understand as total existence yeah. for humans, which was everything. Right. And so you had to sit there and like, keep wrestling with ideas no, that were contrary to what you had been existing inside of. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. but if you're not doing that, it's very difficult to just hear like a person or a group of people speak yeah. about something and then think that 
they have a wisdom that millions of people or billions of people do not have. You're like, what is this? And this goes back to the advanced technology mm-hmm. seeming like magic. Yeah. It's very, very easily to discount. It's very easy to discount it. So I don't, I don't uh, condemn no. people that see all of the mind matrix, you know, escape as a uh, as a magic, as, as mm-hmm. you know, a conjuring of magic and just a bunch of nice flippant words from someone that speaks no, poetically that about yeah, it. I, like that I, I completely understand that, and um, I think we should end it there. We should get yeah, out of here and great. continue on with our, with our day. Awesome. How you feel about it? I feel good. I feel good, man. You know, you know what I like, and it's talking about my feelings. So, if uh, if anybody would like to know how I'm feeling these days, I would like for everyone, and if not, still. Go listen. You'll love it to a song mm. by the the name of the artist Camp, the band Camp. C-A-A-M-P. Yes. Uh, a song in particular of love and life. Beautiful for this time of year. Um, fall, if you experience autumn, wherever you are. Uh, and even if not, it may not even matter. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful listen song. Listen to it. That, that, is a, that song is my, my spirit animal. <laughs> right, and really right most now. of all of their music, especially that album that that song is on in Lavender Days, it's, yeah. they're just beautiful. beautiful. It's just beautiful. It just Full encompasses a whole feeling. Yeah. You know, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, I think it right. helps bring on gratitude. All right. I'm out of here. All right. <laughs> you trying to keep talking. <laughs> you know, I like talking. All right. Peace, everybody. Bye. Peace.